good creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome everyone to 1989 in the Legacy Series. Today we bring you Saturday night's main event, the first one from 1989, and we bring you some bonus footage that you cannot miss. It's been a, a topic throughout 1988 about the title reign of the macho man Randy Savage. It's hard to complain about it because it's one of the best eras in wrestling and they're producing one of the best stories in professional wrestling. But Ms. Fan asked a question a little while back. What if they had given him better storylines? What if they had given him better opponents? And you're going to find out the answer to that what if in the bonus section today. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome to the beginning of 1989. This is a year that we have covered before. It is the year of Flair versus Steamboat. Flair versus Terry Funk. It is the year of Lex Luger versus Brian Pillman, Ricky Steamboat, Brian, uh, Barry Windham. It is the year of Sting versus the Great Muda. It is the year of many big things happening on the other side to combat the ever-growing, well, perhaps no longer growing, we will judge as we go, but the uh, very large popularity of the WWF. So we are now looking at the other side of that equation as we dip back just ever so slightly into 1988 for no less than five bonus matches we are going to talk about. And then we are starting 1989 with a bang on Saturday night's main event. It's going to be a lot of very fun stuff to talk about on this episode. I am excited. Man, the ball, between the bonus footage and Saturday night's main event, you understand why you cannot beat the WWF in this era because they can give you an intense gritty feud and matchup that is pleasing to my NWA senses, or they can give you theater and literature and storylines that are so epic that the match you're watching is really about the third or fourth most important thing happening on the screen. <laughs> There's a perfect example of that a little bit later on, and I think uh, it's the one you're thinking of, so that'll be a fun one to talk about. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Yeah, we we are spoiled uh, in this era where it's like, okay, give us give us the best uh, storyline that you can give us, give us the world champion we want. But here's another wish: why can't he do this? Why can't he do that? But I will say we got Bad News Brown in the bonus section going against Randy Savage, and that to me illustrates exactly what you said. If you go back to WrestleMania three, it's not that Ricky Steamboat. And Randy Savage out Hulk Hogan and Andre, Hulk Hogan and Andre. That was never going to happen. What they did was they created a second path, a second lane where you got Hogan and Andre in all his essence. But you also saw there could be a completely different approach with top stars that could do it a completely different way. What happened is by the time we get to the world title reign of Randy Savage, He's not on that Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat path anymore. They put him on the Hulk Hogan path. Hulk Hogan put him on the Hulk Hogan path. He himself, in some ways, put himself on the Hulk Hogan path. And it's all story. It's all leading to WrestleMania 5. 
but we get a moment to see what it would have been like if this Randy Savage had opponents that were more fit for him, storylines that were more engaging. We will get to see what that is like when we see Randy Savage and Bad News Brown. And then um, we've talked so much about this Randy Savage title reign, and uh, the biggest problem with it has been that we're looking around and we're trying to find the Randy Savage that we got to know before this title reign started, and he just uh, hasn't really been showing up. And I'm not going to say it's his fault. I don't know if it's the company's fault. I don't know what exactly has been going on. But we're going to see not once but twice uh, Randy Savages that we know very well that we've been looking for on this episode. And two totally different versions of the guy that we have been looking to get back. So I am very excited about that. I think that's great. I'm glad we're going to uh, be able to see a Randy Savage. Because I was starting to think his title reign was like, Two weeks with DiBiase, two weeks with Andre, 49 with One Man Gang slashing team, <laughs> and then finally with Hogan. So we're going to see something a little different with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so hard because I want I want the conversation to be sophisticated about this, and I think what you what you just said nails it because could he have been a better Randy Savage if they wanted to book him that way? Sure, but that was not really the goal. So. But, but what you start to see is here is a glimpse of what that title ring could have looked like. And like you just said so smartly, you're going to see uh, the other, the storied, the character Randy Savage we've been looking for. And that's not an accident. Like this man has been neutralized and shut down, not from the outside, but from within, whether it's his own mind or whether it's his so-called best friend and tag team partner. And it's not a shock that about the time he starts waking up. That means the mega powers have to explode. Mm. That should tell you kind of what has neutralized him. <laughs> it would be interesting, and I, I'm always hesitant to read too much into things that may just be in my own mind, because I think uh, you can sort of twist your perspective that way. But I do think it's interesting to ask the question at least, did Randy Savage shut himself down You know, within the story, within the K-Fob? Did he sacrifice something about himself so that he could be world champion, he could be Hulk Hogan's buddy, he could be in this position, which, you know, ostensibly that's exactly what you want. You want to be the world champion. You want to be best friends with the biggest star in the world. You want to stand next to him. Did he make the sacrifices to do that? And does the strain of doing that lead to what we see in the future, which is like macho madness that we have not seen previously? I like that a lot. I think you have to say to some degree the character did indeed. You cannot be in WrestleMania 4, still in the tournament, making a case for why Hulk Hogan should be the winner of the tournament. <laughs> you know, you, that, it's, not, it's not only that that's a weird thing to say, but how could that be your mindset when you're still in this tournament? You know, so I think throughout you can make the case that he did, but I think also what he did not understand is... He, would, he might have been willing, I'm going to give 17% of myself in order to be a world champion and to be the mega powers. Well, Hulk Hogan didn't tell you. That's just, you know, the starting fee. Hulk Hogan is going to take a whole lot more than that 17%. And you watch, Hulk Hogan has encroached and encroached and encroached. And he'll encroach and then run away, encroach and then run away. Throw his hands up like I didn't see anything, I didn't do anything. And even now, uh, the Saturday Night's main event is going to be uh, one of the best as far as, again, the nuance and literature of this story, because it is so uh, 
I just wrote down fucking literature like two or three times because they're <laughs> doing it the way it ought to be done. And it's so strange to say that not only about wrestling, but all the WWF, but it is deeper than it, than it gets credit for. It's a different animal at this time. I don't know if that's Pat Patterson or if it's somebody else, um, but th- it's a different animal, you know, than uh, you would see in different eras. It's great stuff. Um, as far as Savage and Hogan goes, I think our conversation is going to hit a new level of nuance today between those two because there's going to be some incredible stuff coming up. I'm going to give Hogan credit in ways that I didn't expect to. But I'm also going to uh, criticize him in ways I did expect to. And, you know, let, let, that starts right now because you are right. Randy Savage, he can give a piece of himself to be champion. What he didn't know is he was going to end up dressed in the other guy's colors, wearing their <laughs> tag team gear, and he was going to be the only one doing it, you know. So, yeah. oh, boy. Oh, man, there's a lot going on today. There is. I, I'm, I am so intrigued now about because I get what I think I can predict maybe some of the critiques that you're going to have. I don't know what the phrase is going to be, so. That's interesting. I also, uh, I just throw this in real quick and then we'll get into this when we get into Saturday night's main event. But Hulk, one thing I, I think that we picked on, early, picked up on early that was so intriguing, but didn't, didn't at the time seem so, uh, necessary or critical was the fact that Elizabeth was kind of to Randy Savage what the, uh, Hulkamaniacs were to Hulk Hogan. And yet the Hulkamaniacs are still that to Hulk Hogan, and he'll even say it one time. But then the rest of the time, three, four, five, six times, the lovely Elizabeth, she's the reason, she's the reason. And, you know, as again, this, this Hulk Hogan can stand in broad daylight and commit crimes, and yet do it in a way where you cannot really tag him with it. And I will say this, and then I'll shut up. The it hit me today. The greatest argument against, oh, this is just good guy versus bad guy, and the good guys are like this, and that it is narrative versus narrative, like we've said from the beginning. How poetic and risky, as Hulk Hogan cheats and screws his friend, to have him in a storyline where Slick is pretty much saying this guy is a multiple-time offender and a crook and a cheat. So, like, they're, they're casting the light on him. But he's still good enough to slip to slip these things and come out uh, with more fan support. But, man, it is narrative versus narrative in all of these pieces. <laughs> Hogan's ability to make sure anyone against him is uh, demonized is very strong, and we'll see that more as we go along. But, man, it is nuts because, yeah, Hogan, um, you know, one way or another, he co-opted Savage's personality. He co-opted his appearance. He even co-opted his uh, manager slash girlfriend. So that's... That's a lot of encroaching on one man's territory, especially when that man is supposed to be the world champion. So that's a lot for anybody to take. There's a reason it is, and it's almost like this idea that the belt just belongs to Hulk Hogan. So anything he does to Randy Savage is kind of Savage's, you know, fault. Savage's to deal with. But the fact is, if you went even deeper, like I've said before, Hulk Hogan's trying to make it in Hollywood, and you don't. There's no better situation in a way than to have your best friend be world champion, because then as long as he's champion, good things are happening. You don't have to beat Andre the Giant or whoever else. But it's, again, the thing that Randy Savage can't see. You are the world champion and Hogan's best friend, as long as that's useful to him. But you're also the new Andre the Giant, the new Bobby Heenan, the new whatever else he wants to make you to be if he needs to do it. 
Yeah, no, very true. It's funny, because there's going to be a time where, um, when uh, Hogan and Savage are talking about feeling each other's pain, and uh, Hogan loves to have other people feel his pain. We've noticed mm. this before, but uh, <laughs> uh, that, that's very interesting. I wonder if Hogan was feeling Savage's pain when he was filming a movie and Savage was getting beaten up in all these world title matches. Oh, wow, that's a, that's a hell of a point. <laughs> I've, I've noticed in life that a very good trick is... Either whatever you want to do that is not right, accuse someone else of doing it, or whatever you want but you're not going to give, act like you know, you're know you giving it so the other one would. Hulk Hogan is, again, the master manipulator, and he's going to be louder than Savage, and I feel your pain, and you know that he doesn't. Like I don't think he could if he wanted to. And Randy Savage... Might not be doing it, <laughs> that, but then, okay, this is the great literature of this because this part I ne- didn't even think of. As they both are talking about, they feel each other's pain. Perhaps in that moment, both of them are telling a lie. <laughs> oh man, I um, Savage, I thought he couldn't have been more sarcastic in that part. That was my yeah. read, but we'll we'll get to it for sure. Yes, God, this is good stuff. And you hit us with uh, just just like a Christmas level uh, bonus. Uh, so this is just. I think this is a must-listen-to episode as we bridge 1988 into, into 1989. I sure hope everyone listens and has a good time, because, yeah, there's a ton of good stuff on this show. Where do you want to start? Oh, man. All right, let's look Let's look at these bonus matches. We'll go uh, chronologically. Um, so I put five bonus matches on here, and four of them are kind of just uh, enhancement matches. Some of them are pretty quick, but they all feature guys that I like, that, uh, in my opinion, maybe aren't getting featured enough on the shows that we are watching. So uh, I just want to take a look at these guys and take a look at these matches, too, because this is really the bread and butter of WWF TV at this time. Like, this is the majority of what you would see if you were a fan at that time. And uh, I really come to love some of these short jobber matches. I've come to know uh, some of the low-level jobber guys and to love them as well. And uh, there's just something about this style People always complain in later is like, oh, people don't all feel like stars like they used to. And part of it, I think, is because in this era, you could see them every week come out and just, like, kick ass. And if they took a loss, like, that would be a rare thing. Most of the time, they were just beating up dudes. And uh, I don't know. I think that's cool. I think the enhancement... I I grew up... It was the norm for me, you know, what I grew up in. And so when it changed to, like, Nitro versus Raw, we kind of dropped that... Mm -hmm. I had that first off, like, this is nothing but better, because it's better match, better match, better match, but as history has given us, I guess, 20 years of that, I desperately see the need of enhancement matches to develop talent, to create patience, to create, you know, timing in the storyline. I think I think uh, it's key uh, in telling the kind of stories that are, are maybe the best, but maybe I, I don't know if they fit the current form of professional wrestling or not. It's really tough to go back, you know, um, so it's tough. You know, we, we covered NWA Power for a little while, and they, they had sort of a little bit of this format. Like, it would be um, lower-tier guys getting knocked off a lot, and uh, not everybody was really very into that. Um, so it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle, but, you know, some people are trying at least. We'll see what happens as wrestling continues to evolve. I think with NWA Power, though, the people who were not the enhancement talent 
seem like they also should be enhancement talent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was hard. It's it, it's hard to make people feel like stars sometimes. So that's something that's done very well in the WWF. I give them credit. And just I guess how you do it. Well, we'll get into it, but even here, you know, like Blue Blazer. Like, you definitely need enhancement talent for that because you haven't really seen anything like Blue Blazer, so give him some time just to come out and do things that you haven't seen before. Right, yeah. And um, it's interesting, too, because you get guys like uh, we have Blue Blazer on here, we have Coco Beware on here, and they're probably not going to get any big wins as they currently Mm -hmm. are. You know, you may see them on a pay-per-view, but they're probably just going to be losing. We're going to see Coco do the job for uh, Mr. Perfect at the end of this episode. Um so it's great to see these guys, like, they they had a lot that they could do as well, and they got to show it on these smaller matches, and it's nice because that's that hierarchy that I love to see. Yeah, and I think that's also a thing is if we're not going to act like and buy in that we're watching a real presentation, uh-huh. then it takes away the opportunity to do this because as a kid, for me, I, I viewed this as – almost a real thing not that i said oh this is a real competition but that's the kind of mindset i went into as a fan and uh-huh. so when you see coco beware defeat an enhancement talent you know it's not a given that mr perfect can beat coco beware because coco beware is clearly being featured you know so why is it that coco beware might not defeat mr perfect you know so right yeah you see him get those wins even if they're small wins and you're like well he's not a loser you know he could win uh, any match potentially yeah. Especially with some of the stuff he does in that match, I'm excited to talk about that. But we'll cover that in a little bit. All right, let's see, let's get to the matches themselves. Um, first one chronologically we're covering here is from the uh, November 29 episode of Primetime. It's uh, two guys, one of which we're going to be talking about a whole lot over the course of this series. It's the Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, and they're here taking on that Survivor Series All-Star Team of Los Conquistadores, so, um, this is a, this is a fun match, it's, uh, the longer one of these enhancement talent matches, and, uh, it's cool, because you kind of get to see, uh, A, the Rockers, which I think is just fun, I find the Rockers very fun, and B, like, this is the way that these wrestlers kind of learned, um, a lot of legends learned this way, and, uh, you know, they would have these longer matches on house shows, even against lower talent, figure out what they could do, and there's some very fun stuff in this, I think. Yeah, this is a match went a lot longer than I thought it would, but then I remember those damn conquistadors are <laughs> not to be uh, messed around with here. No, so. they lasted to the end at Survivor Series. <laughs> uh, Gorilla Monsoon asked the question, like, why don't they wear their numbers on their tights? And Bobby Heenan says it's a wrestling rule, freedom of tights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Heenan and Monsoon on the on the call here, and they they're having a great time. I love them together, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I really wondered who was the enhancement talent at some points in this one. Yeah, and, it's very competitive. You know, it's speed versus power. Like, they kind of handle the Rockers when they can get a hold of them, but the Rockers are always moving around. My question is, I feel like any team that's a tag team almost wrestles a lot, mostly tag matches. So what is the point or the marketing or the promotion or the reason that we always get the Rockers are tag team specialists that don't wrestle singles matches. They're, they're specialists in the tag team division. I don't understand that branding either, but it comes up a lot. It's one of the uh, recurring talking points that they go over for the Rockers. So I don't know if they were trying to defend against, well, why don't these quick little guys go for other titles or I don't know, but 
they're definitely not going to be tag team specialists forever. So we'll yeah. see. If you have any guests and you're listening, let us know uh, at because it's just strange that all tag teams are tag team specialists, it seems like. And this is a tag team that never really wins the tag titles, much less dominates the division. But they are the tag specialist amongst the group. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sometimes they just get weird talking points, and once you have a talking point, it never goes away. It's like Greg Valentine, yeah. oh, he doesn't warm up for 20 minutes, and he only wrestles five-minute matches, you know? So it's like, <laughs> what are you even talking about? Is he never warmed up, or maybe you just uh, forgot to change your talking point? But it is what it is. There's definitely some outside-the-box stuff, like Michaels does a monkey flip. He has uh, Marty in the corner, and he hits the guy behind Marty. Then he monkey flips Marty, who lands on his feet, and, and hits a clothesline on the other dude. So they're, they're definitely, much like the Blue Blazer, they are bringing a different style um, to these matches. Yeah, we are seeing that evolution, that bridge maybe, between the height of uh, rock and wrestling and New Generation, which is coming up mm. in a few years. So uh, it's pretty cool. Um, Janetti taking a crazy bump over to the floor that they uh, gush about, which is uh, nice. I appreciate um, the positive attention to a spot like that. You get built up to a Shawn Michaels hot tag, and he does very well, although I don't think you would ever guess that he'd be main eventing WrestleMania multiple times. Uh, no. be a big change in the company before we get to that. That was one of my big thoughts on this. Is I never would have predicted that this guy would be kind of running the WWF for a little while. Like It doesn't matter. Like I was immediately a fan of his mm. as a kid, so maybe... Something in the heart and the gut knows, but as an adult watching like and trying to logically, you know, mentally take notes for the show, I was like, I see no, like, I I, I wouldn't have made that prediction. Let's put it that way. Sure. And I think we'll have to watch because 91 is not 88. You know, there's three years between those. So he may stand out more at that time. But I've talked to plenty of people who said back when they were the Rockers, they liked Janetti more, you know. So, uh, I don't know. I'll keep a close eye on this team and see what they do and what they look like. That's interesting. I can see, like, in that matchup, 1988, where you could maybe be a fan of either one of them. But in 1991, like, there wasn't yet a clear – like, they had not moved into the storyline yet. And mine was 100% Shawn Michaels and 0% Marty Janetti, so <laughs> – I don't know what that means, but and that's not even a knock on Marty Janetti, but yeah. you know, I, I, my felt sense was this guy's going to be something when I started watching in '91. Right. Well, you're the mystic, so you have an advantage over the rest hey. of us. <laughs> <laughs> I, one one thing that was cool was Bobby Heenan uh, after the monkey flip by Michaels on Janetti said, "I thought he had turned on his partner." <laughs> Bobby Heenan, maybe a little bit of a mystic, too. Um, Maybe just seeing betrayals everywhere. Uh, Hence that Bash at the Beach call, that famous one. There's good stuff. Uh, It's a good match. I like, like you said, Janetti does kind of a high cross body, goes over the top rope, and it's a nasty feel that changes changes the match. And they have, like, a really awesome thing where it's like, oh, his arm touched the top rope. If that hadn't happened, it would have been even worse. Mm. Of commentary where they uh, analyze little bits of things, which maybe, you know, could or could not even be real for all you know, but they make it sound like it's like a big talking point, and I don't know, I like that kind of commentary. Yeah, as Miz fan said, Michaels gets the hot tag, the Rockers fight back, and though the Conquistadors dominate parts of the match and carry on to a long match, the Rockers uh, will get the victory at the end of this matchup. 
absolutely. We're going to see a lot more of the Rockers. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. They're not featuring that much yet. We saw them at Survivor Series, but they're not on a lot of these cards. So, more Rockers I, I would like to see. Please and thank you. They are teasing uh, Rockers and Brain Busters, though. I think yeah. we will get that on a Saturday Night's main event. Oh, yeah, a couple possibly. So, that I'm very excited about. I remember those matches very fondly. Um, yeah, I know there's going to be some great stuff. I love that not only do we have the Rockers, this is just a great pa- uh, bonus package because we got. I see it so much like parallels between Coco Beware and the Blue Blazer as we go along, and mm-hmm. you know, it, despite the fact that at this time they probably don't know they're going to be a tag team. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that they do. It seems like they didn't really have any plans for Owen Hart, which is kind of crazy to me, but uh, that will change in time, fortunately. Uh, our next match, yes, is Coco Beware. Taking on a guy that I am excited to talk about. Also, Iron Mike Sharp. Uh, this is on the December 4th episode of WWF Wrestling Challenge, which was the companion to Superstars of Wrestling. If you didn't know, it is on YouTube. And God bless the people who put these matches on YouTube, because they are the heroes of our generation. Absolutely. Um, can't find this stuff anywhere else right now. WWE could put it on the network if they wanted to, but they don't. Cough, cough. Um, so, yeah, this is great because, like I said, we rarely get to see Coco Beware uh, actually in a dominant position, and it's not like he dominates us either because if you don't know Iron Mike Sharp, you should. First of all, he's, like, a really big guy. He's a super loud guy. He's, like, the loudest wrestler I think I've ever seen. Everything about his movements is punctuated with, like, noise and yelling and just uh, projecting this big aura around him. Um, They get some really fun stuff here. They really get into it. Sharp slaps Coco so hard at one point, they're like, that sounded like a gunshot, and they're right. Um, Yeah, Coco uh, faking Sharp out, doing cool stuff, doing that great missile dropkick that he does better than just about anybody. You really get to see some stuff that you wouldn't see on the bigger shows in this match. Yeah, it gives Coco an opportunity. It gives Mike Sharp, who is just, he contrasts Coco Beware so well. Mm. I don't know if he was enhancement talent in the early 90s, but I knew him really, really well, even without him accomplishing much, I think, with what I saw. So Iron Mike Sharp was one that always stood out to me. Sure, yeah, he's probably my favorite jobber ever. Um, I think he did hang around all the way to the early 90s. Um, he's one of the longest-running ones, and I'm glad, because he's very good. I think he may have even come in originally a long time ago to feud with Bob Backlund, so someday I want to pull up those matches, because I'm sure they're super fun. But uh, here he still gets to do his thing, and is very good. Interestingly, now that I think about it, when my brother and I, for probably seven, eight years, kind of created our own wrestling you know, promotions and we made up our own characters, mm-hmm. when we had enhancement talent matches, I think we had the, the nonfiction enha- enhancement talent. Like, we didn't make up enhancement talent, so it would be like Mike Sharp, Sharp or Joey Maggs or Barry Horowitz, you know. Nice. So I don't know why that is, but I think these, these folks appeared in our fictional wrestling promotion because we did not bother to uh, create the enhancement talent. <laughs> That's great. I love, yeah, the recurring uh, jobbers through all these eras um, are just, they're great because they're doing a job that probably nobody appreciated all that much, Mm. but uh, they always did a really great job and they quietly helped this era be even greater. So I love them. Yeah, and I would recommend this match, the Blue Blazer. They're both, I think, about four minute matches, so you don't lose a lot and and you gain much for watching them. 
You sure do. I, I particularly want to draw attention to the end of the Coco Beware Iron Mike Sharp match because uh, it allows you to see something that I probably mentioned before, but you really don't get it, I think, until you see it. Coco Beware's finisher, which I don't know if he ever gets to use on pay-per-view, is this horrifying brain buster that would have looked extreme in like the 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 farthest japanese promotions that were known for like stiff and horrifying moves he murders this guy just drops him down on his head it's crazy like i can never get over the ghostbuster and how unbelievably disastrous it looks for his opponent yeah, I, I did not think he could pick up Mike Sharp, but I knew he probably could put him back down, and by God, he puts him back down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he always does it like this. Like, I don't know. I it's love awesome. Coco Beware. It is awesome. I love it. It's a combination, too. You want to talk about a talented wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, right before he does the brain buster, he's on the second rope, does a quick transition to the top rope, hits that awesome missile drop kick, which is just transition skill, which is speed and agility, and then he picks up the big man and puts him in a brain buster, which is power. So he hits everything in those last two kind of moves in the matchup. Absolutely. So good. Different time and place. Coco Beware could have done a lot more, but you know what? He did a lot anyway, and he deserves more respect. I'm continually more convinced of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Grill Monsoon says Frankie is always at ringside like you. Bobby Heen says Frankie makes a bigger mess. <laughs> Oh, all the Monsoon, Heenan stuff. It's great. I watched so much Wrestling Challenge because it was Heenan and Monsoon. I was doing it for, you know, the project. And um, they're so great. Just like week in, week out. They're a delight to listen to. So I, that's probably why they remain my favorite over I, some people prefer Ventura. And I get that. But for me, it's Heenan and Monsoon all the way. Yeah, I, I can see that. The deep dive that you did. And so it's just so effortless. Like I, it's almost too again, 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 again. I like uh, Jesse and Vince for almost the the effort it takes because you get the idea that they could not like each other or they could be over in a minute, and then they make great effort, I guess, in their stuff. Whereas Monsoon and and uh, Bobby, it seems like, are just effortless. They're laid back in their seats. They're they're just then they're just doing their thing. Oh, yeah. You feel like they can just sit down and God knows if they even wrote out any notes for the show. Like, they're just doing it off the top of their heads, it seems like, at times. And it's just so good. It's so good. Absolutely. Oh, man. So you have referred. We do get this Blue Blazer uh, own heart match as well. He's taking on Steve Lombardi, who will soon become the Brooklyn Brawler in a, a pretty interesting angle that I think we will take the time to cover. Um, cause it's actually pretty good. Unlike, uh, the rest of his career, which is, you know, it's nondescript. It's fine. He's the Brooklyn brawler. You know who he is. Um, so yeah, we get, uh, we get a fun match here. We even get Owen doing a little picture in picture promo where he won't reveal who he is, but he talks about the things he can do. And, uh, the question as always with anybody wearing a mask is they have to try to like puzzle out who he is and they never quite get there. Yeah. Bobby, he will always. Uh, build up that he has the answer, and then it's usually something like, he's the guy wearing the mask, and Gorilla's not having it. Uh, he's like, I've heard this one before, Bobby. <laughs> oh, great stuff. I don't even have much else to say about this match. It's just fun. It's Owen Hart doing his thing. It's Steve Lombardi, who's a talented, uh, you know, enhancement talent guy. It's just fun. I'll tell you something about the Blue Blazer, Miz fan. Tell me. His snap mare has snap. <laughs> 
Oh, he has snapped for days for sure. His spinning elbows, they spin. <laughs> and his uppercuts, they cut upward, Miz Van. They do. He is just so good at what he does. I think about this absurd gimmick kind of saddled upon nothing but talent. But he's a man with a sense of humor. He doesn't take wrestling too seriously. So just despite the fact that his older brother, out of insecurity, puts him in this blue blazer gimmick, he doesn't even come out here like it's been forced upon him. No, no. I mean, uh, I think we all know Owen had a great attitude from every story about him. So he, he was probably having a great time. I hope he was. I love Owen Hart. Yeah. I want only good things for him. So It will be over, though. He gets fed up. In, in six years, he gets fed up with it. So <laughs> Six years. Oh, my God. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Man, there's he, so much Owen Hart that was not um, – because he, he – Eventually, yeah, he'll come back with high energy and the new foundation and stuff. But man, it feels like there are there are lost Owen Hart periods where he could he could have and should have been doing a lot more. Oh yeah, to me, he's already he's ahead of the Rockers right now. He's ahead of Bret Hart. Like so, it, yep. it, in this moment in time, I'd put him ahead of Michaels and Bret, which is a hell of a statement. I I don't disagree though. I think on an individual basis, he's been more entertaining than either one of them. So yeah, it's just more natural, I think, for him. Like I don't. You know, how many people come in and just do this and, you know, he'll never take wrestling as seriously as Michaels or Hart. And yet look at him, the natural ability and he pops like he, he has charisma. Yeah. He's so undervalued. He is so undervalued yet. You know, he'll get he'll get a window in 94 and then he will. They'll be like, they'll knock the fucking wall. Like the world will knock the wall down for him and WWF will be like, don't walk through it in 98. So mm. things to look forward to or not. Or not. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Owen wins that match. Of course, uh, our fourth and final enhancement talent match is the brain busters. My favorite team of all time taking on the, uh, unlikely perhaps team of Jim Brunzel and Lanny Poffo, two guys mm. that uh, are known not for teaming with each other, but who are known and uh, will do things past and future in this series. Uh, Brunzel, with that, when Blair left, he didn't have a lot to do, but he hangs around for a long time, and he's always good. I like Jim Brunzel. He's got that great dropkick. He does fun stuff. Lanny Poffo is another guy who will never get a push, kind of as himself. He'll have more success as the genius, perhaps, but uh, he can do some fun stuff as well. But when you're up against the Brain Busters, you're going to have a great match. You can't avoid it. You know, even if you stink, which they don't, you would still have a great match. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lanny Poffo kind of threw me a little bit. I, I didn't realize he had whatever gimmick he was in at this time. So <laughs> He uh, I, he was a job guy for, for many years. Um, just kind of low on the card, and he would read his little poems sometimes. So he was like <laughs> a tiny bit above, you know, pure jobber. Uh, and he would, like, throw a Frisbee in the crowd. And, you know, he, yeah, Lonnie Poffo, he's around a lot, more than you would think, probably. Yeah, Frisbees, I think, threw me off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> he could join uh, the Dynamic Dudes or yes. whoever they were. Yes, Shane Douglas and uh, Johnny Ace, John Laurinaitis. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, Frisbees don't get over, so don't use Frisbees, everybody. <laughs> It's important to mention real quick, too, that uh, with the Coco Beware and the Owen Hart matches, mm-hmm. either before those segments or after, they were throwing two video packages of a new team called the Bushwhackers. <sighs> don't remind me about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to know about that. 
Uh, the Bushwhackers. They gotta come in and join the uh, bottom tier of guys that I would rather <laughs> not see. They gotta, they gotta bushwhack their way up with Duggan and Beefcake and Warrior and all these guys. Um, so this is just another one where you could put the Brainbusters against anybody in this era and it's worth watching. It's so good, and it's not just like they're pulverizing the guy either, because they have all these great spots also um, to kind of like show ass a little bit and uh, look foolish. Like, we talk about Arn a lot, but Tully, I think, is actually kind of the star in this one, because at one point he's trying to kick the guy, and the guy catches his foot, and he's just like hopping there and like swinging at him, and he looks foolish, and the crowd, you know, they're enjoying it. Um, Papo tries to jump up on him at one point, and he kind of like slams him down in like a half power bomb, half I don't even know what. That looks great. There's a great moment where he knocks Pavo down, and then he's just like strutting across the ring, just like you know, like anyone would strut. But then he's by Brunzel, and suddenly he's like smacking him in the face. There's a lot of great Tully stuff in this match. Um, I love the Brainbusters. I love Tully, and uh, that's probably a surprise to nobody. Yeah, this is more of a totally, I think totally takes the lead in this one. And that's what's so good about them is the signature things you come to, that you come there to see, and they might not even give it to you because they, they have so many different styles, and you still leave satisfied. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I'm glad they got the push they did. You'd think they'd have everything against them because they're kind of nondescript guys. They're not muscle guys, um, you know, just from looking at them. They are a product of another company. Fortunately, we're still in a time where they're being pushed to be very competitive, so they can't just uh, write these guys off out of hand. They get a lot of good attention, even if uh, it's only in tag team. We don't really ever get them doing uh, anything individual. Yeah, I look at them a couple of times and think, I am surprised Vince McMahon pushed them. Yeah, right? (laughs) He could have easily not pushed them, but uh, in a different era, he wouldn't have pushed them, so I'm glad we're in this era. Especially with Flair not coming in. I'm surprised he didn't just punish them for the entirety of their contract. (laughs) Yeah. I still wonder what that would have looked like. I don't know if this company would have been prepared to do justice to that. You know, for all the good things we've said, I don't know if they would have fit in that equation very well. Yeah. At best, it would have been a lot like 92 in that they they would have got just a big push, I think, for six months to a year, and then they'd fall off a cliff like it never existed. And that, that's one thing on WWF that I do not like is just how quickly these things can turn, you know, mm-hmm. beyond any kind of justification. Like, oh, they dominated the sport for a year and now they can't win a single match. And it turns out they never had any talent. <laughs> that's kind of the formula here. You know, how many guys have stepped up to Hogan and he beats them and then, you know, they're never really the same after that. So it's just the cycle, I guess, of how they did things at this time. But sometimes, yeah, they give up too soon. I agree. Marty Jannetty appears on screen to say that the Brain Busters think our lifestyle's a little too wild, and I think, well, they're not wrong, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. Some weird Marty news coming out lately, but I don't even want to get into that. So. Yeah, the Brain Busters are trying to help you, son. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to give you guidance, yeah. They're going to have a nice uh, job with AEW in uh, 22 years, and you're going to you're gonna be having a different kind of problem. So. Mm. Uh, totally will hit the... Um, Slingshot suplex. Yes, yeah, slingshot suplex to win. Uh, it's so like even with the slingshot portion of it, he is never giving up former control in, in that move. Yeah, that's a hard move to do. I respect how good he makes that look. Yeah, so good. So they're, they're gonna win it off of the slingshot suplex. 
Indeed, and now we get to the bonus part of this show that I am the most excited about. That is the Bad News Brown segment. And I got to say, the more I see this guy, the more I am not only reinforced that he is Stone Cold before Stone Cold, but also I'm just incredibly impressed by what he brought to the table. And uh, I wish that he had been given more attention, but at least he here gets a main event feud. He gets a big segment. He gets some very good stuff we're going to talk about. First seven words on my uh, notes. He re- or no, he is not there. Really is the original Austin. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like straight down the line. Um, he's a very impressive guy. Uh, so before we get to the match he's gonna have with Randy Savage that we're gonna cover, uh, we do have a promo. We have Jack Tunney on Brother Love. Um, Brother Love is very annoying, of course. Here's Before we talk about the rest, I have a note here. I want to see what you think of it. The note says, Brother Love is very annoying. There's no nuance to his gimmick. He's the heel Jim Duggan. Wow. <laughs> That's a hell of a statement, uh, number one. I would have to think about it. Here's, I, I agree that he is only annoying. We're being told... You know, I never want to make like emphatic statements because we do get... People who watch this during the era saying, but also their storyline here and there that you're not covering. Mm. But we got to go off what's on the screen in front of us. I think I 100% agree with the first part. I don't yet know if I can say the second part. (laughs) I'll I'll expand on it a little bit. You don't have to agree or disagree. But just the fact that no matter what happens to him... It's not, he's not dug in in the sense that he pretends it doesn't happen, but nothing can stop him from doing, you know, the gimmick, from being loud and obnoxious and just pressing on and pressing on with this exact gimmick. Like, nothing can shake him out of that. His house could blow up and he would do, like, a brother love shtick. It just it feels that way. It's the felt sense of it. When Duggan is shouting ho, brother love is shouting, I don't know, some other words, but they're equally annoying to me. I get that. I think that's partly why they stood out so well together on the pay-per-view, because that's what they did. They just one up each other and, and kind of no-sold the other person back and forth the entire time. Indeed. Oh, I, I think, too, as, as a, someone who is uh, from the South and who came up in religion, I get the gimmick, but I also think a more nuanced version of this could be better. Because I would have to, yeah, I would have to agree with that. You did a little bit of uh, preaching yourself. I bet you were not this annoying, right? So. I, uh, not that annoying, maybe. Yeah, maybe a step down, one step down. Uh, but, you know, there's, there, I think everything the gimmick needs is inside of the gimmick. Mm-hmm. But it's never de- deployed in a way that can really make it work. It's not going to be a Ted DiBiase or a Bobby Heenan. It's going to be man scream, man in weird makeup screaming at the camera. And I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. If you had a nuanced uh, preacher gimmick with that Ted DiBiase, with that Bobby Heenan, mm-hmm. you know, man, it really could have been next level stuff. Instead, I would say maybe for me it's the ultimate warrior um, in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I, can kind of see I see that. Hacksaw too, because it depends on what is Brother Love. I, like, I guess it, if you're pri- like visually, it's an Ultimate Warrior, and then audibly, it's a Hacksaw Jim Duggan, which is not a good combo. <laughs> That's <a> terrible combo. <laughs> but it is like they, I think he was the first time that they played music during his whole segment, and they had a light show going on. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing that we're seeing 
And this is a hard conversation to have as we go into 89 and 90 because they're doing theater and story to a point, like I said, where wrestling can be the third or fourth thing. But they're doing such a good job with what they have that I can't really complain, though that is not what I want from a company all the time. But we are starting to see these people emerge, whether it's the Warrior or Brother Love. That is, oh, Warrior's kind of like Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, and Brother Love's kind of like Bobby Heenan and Ted DiBiase. But they really don't have any of the depth or character or nuance. It's all like kind of the, oh, look at the, look at the, uh, Look at the images, listen to the sound, look mm. at the makeup, you know, type thing. For sure. I almost wonder if we have to redefine some terms and look at some things a different way, because I know you've always been like NWA, WCW, over WWF, and that means certain things. Like, just from saying the names, it means certain things. And yet, when we look at the things on these shows that we enjoy <laughs> most, and when we look at things like NWA Power and the stuff on those shows that we enjoyed the most, it sort of goes against our own narratives of like what we were saying we were looking for. So I don't know, just, I'm not going to say anything for sure. I'm just saying, uh, re-examining those things, um, is always a good thing to do. I'm always down to re-examine. I love that you brought that up here because, <clears throat> number one, I think even, I can no longer even just say, well, I like the NWA cause I like the gritty wrestling. And a lot of the stuff in the WWF in this area is gritty. So that's off the table. I'll probably still do it in the future, but that's really off the table when we're having a real conversation. And then I don't know what to say about what we're going to talk about on Saturday night's main event because Hogan will wrestle Akeem. And again, it's like third or fourth, but it's fucking phenomenal because like literature is playing out. So, but would I want that to be happening all the time? Probably not for me as a fan, but I mean, if, if you're going to create something that I'm going to call literature in its greatest term, then you can kind of do what you want to, but nine times out of 10, you're not doing that. It is very interesting because the Hogan Akeem match itself is uh, it's nothing like it might as well right. not have happened. It's it's bad. I would even say like as a match, I would have no interest in it. And yet that whole segment is so elevated, maybe up to one of the favorite things we've seen on this series so far. So so, yeah, I don't know. It, it's tough when uh, you have people who are like NWA, WCW wrestling first. But then, you know, you're almost gravitating more towards the segments than the matches and i don't know there's a lot of interesting ways to look at it i think and wcw is running what sting and the um, black scorpion and all that kind of stuff so <laughs> not yet but soon that's next year i think i mean the, you know i think what, what i have dropped is you cannot say either one of them is wrestling first or entertainment first because neither company is always doing the same thing right it depends on the day almost yeah. And then even what we're about to get into, this bad news Brown, this is the attitude. Like, not only is he the Austin before Austin, but he's bringing the fucking attitude error in the promo and the matchup. He like, absolutely is. No, he, he brings it here full bore, and nobody is ready for it, I think. So. No, I'm not ready. I didn't. Jack Tunney, Jack Tunney will end up on his knees, like, snatched around the, the collar. And I was like, I did not know that Jack Tunney did these things. I thought you would have been thrown out of company at this time. Right, right. Like, it's very intense. It's very unexpected. So um, I hope everyone watches the segment. It is on YouTube as well, Bad News Brown and uh, Jack Tunney. You should be able to find it. I posted some links as well. So check those out. Bad News Brown does come out. He calls out Jack Tunney. He says, I've been sending you messages. I've been trying to contact you about why I'm not the number one contender. You're sitting in your private country club, and he's setting up this great, great dynamic between them. And I think um, 
our prof has been talking about slick and his like dynamic politically, racially, all this stuff. Bad news Brown, he's here doing it too. And he's uh, even more direct about it. He talks about, I won all my matches. I won the battle Royal at WrestleMania, you know, and I'm not getting any opportunities because you're protecting this spineless champion. Uh, so I noticed ever since Savage became champion, Jack Tony, you have a big mansion, a big boat, a nice car. Did you do a deal with Randy Savage to get some of his money off of his championship reign and you're protecting him? Tony denies it, of course. And then Bad News Brown, he's bringing the bad news for real because he reveals, oh, is Liz doing favors for you, Jack Tunney? Is that why you're protecting Randy Savage? Jack Tunney's pissed off. He pokes at Bad News Brown, and that's the worst thing you can do because just like you said, Brown grabs Tunney around the collar. He roughs him up. He forces him down onto the ground, and he says, and goddamn Bad News Brown is the greatest badass, I think, in wrestling history because he says, I don't care if you're the president of the United <laughs> States or the Queen of England. Nobody touches me, and if you do it again, I'll beat the ugly off of you. Holy yes. shit. <laughs> I love Bad News Brown so much. This is Hogan slamming Andre as far as what he accomplishes. <laughs> you don't do this to authority in the WWF. And for like three of the four questions before we get to Liz, Jack Tanya will give him a one word answer and just like he has to explain nothing. Like It's unbelievable what Jack Tanya can get away with, but it makes sense because that is the authority and the way things work in this era. But Bad News Brown is not having it, and he pokes and pokes until I, I am not accusing Liz because I don't think that. I think Bad News Brown is is off on that and wanted to provoke Jack Tunney. But he hit something in Jack Tunney when he made that accusation. Mm-hmm. And Jack Tunney loses his cool, and Jack Tunney puts his hands on Bad News Brown, and it does not take long to regret it. <laughs> Indeed not. I, I look at this. And I see it's the exact dynamic of Austin and McMahon, but just nobody was ready to take um, to take the other guy's side yet. But uh, I don't see a difference between those two scenarios in my mind. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Except Jack Tunney, you know, Jack Tunney is what Mr. McMahon is longing to be again because you know, in the Attitude Era, you're as the authority figure, you are guilty before you know you're innocent and. I think the whole thing is about the, the Mr. McMahon character longing for a time where he could have just have things the way he wants it. And this is a picture of that where, again, Jack Tunney can come out and give no explanation. And everybody's like, well, that seems uh, he said no. So, I mean, go home, Bad News Brown. <laughs> yeah, since if Mr. McMahon could have come out and just told everyone Austin was bad and they all would have believed him. Yeah, that definitely would have been his uh, perfect world right there. <laughs> I also said Brother Love is the type to show up to an effective, peaceful protest so that he can loot and riot. Oh, my God. Total instigator. And not even a fun one like Gene Okerlund. So. No. Because I forgot I had this in my notes when you brought it up. But, like, I don't like Jack Tunney as far as, like, oh, like, I'm not going to be the guy cheering Jack Tunney. He's done nothing for me to cheer him, and his answers are short. But even I put, even within that, Brother Love is very unprofessional in how he's addressing this. <laughs> Yes, he's like really in um, Tony's face after Bad News Brown leaves and just uh, bellowing because that's his only mode of communication. Again, that Warrior Duggan connection. Some people can only bellow and they are never interesting yes. people. So I'm coming more to your side on that because it's it's this lowbrow uh, stuff that if you like it, I'm not knocking you, but like I don't know how to like it. Right. 
we'll get to this in British because we got British Beefcake on Saturday night's main event. And oh, like, I have a note somewhere about after the match when we're getting a haircut. I don't even like I don't even know how to respond to this. Like nothing inside of me is happening. Like this lowbrow shit with no nuance. I can't even describe it. Fake nuance. <laughs> you know, and then Beefcake will confirm that, you know, that, oh, I only care about cutting hair. Like, oh fuck, I'm watching wrestling. <laughs> so go <laughs> do that somewhere else. Yes, I'm so glad you get to act out your fetish on TV, but holy crap, who cares? Who wants to see this? Yeah, I'm not going to have a lot of kind things to say about that when we get to it. No. So. It's fair to say there's some pretty bad stuff on this show as well. So we Yeah, when I looked at it on paper, I was like, I'm not even going to enjoy this. <laughs> it looks like a terrible card, Saturday Night's Main Event does, um, and and parts of it are, so we'll, we'll, we'll tear into it when the time is right. Brother Love makes the term weasel a badge of honor because, you know, what weasel means is, like, he's really slippery, he's, like, he's making all these accusations, they might not be true, he's maneuvering, like, you make no move, like, Brother Love makes no moves, he tries to convince nobody, he just yells and screams, so, more and more we talk about it, I think I'm coming to your side on that. <laughs> yeah, Brother Love is to Heenan as the renegade is to the actual Ultimate Warrior, so, yeah, it's just kind of like a weird imitation that probably didn't need to happen, and I love what you said before, because... It's a character that I always wanted to like. Like, when I came into this era, I was like, oh, Brother Love, like, that seems like it'll be fun. Because there's rich potential there. And I'll be honest, I just think it's let down by the guy who's doing it. And I know people have a trillion opinions about Bruce Pritchard. So if you love the guy, more power to you. I have no objection to it. But personally, I do not enjoy his performance as Brother Love. Yeah. If you love the guy, skip. Uh what will probably be the pre-SummerSlam 93 episode of uh, this series because I am going in on him uh, when we get there. I have a note for like four years later in my life, like, go at, go at Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. So, again, I think what, what you have kind of made me realize, too, is like when you watch this segment, which I recommend everybody watches November 26, 1988, Bad News Brown is so, like, in the zone, standing still, purposeful, engaged, and Brother Love's running around screaming. It's almost like the two segments are happening, like, in the same place, but not even together. <laughs> yes, totally different energy from these two guys, for sure. That bothers me, too. Like, read the fucking room, you know. <laughs> it's not your segment, so go... I think that's something Bobby Heenan would do. And it's also something that a good minister, like... Even if he's a like a, a charlatan and taking advantage of people, he wouldn't be able to take advantage of people if he couldn't read a room. Oh man! If you wanna if you wanna talk about Bobby Heenan versus Brother Love, and you don't even need to because they're so far apart, but just imagine for a moment that Brother Love was the one who managed Andre going into WrestleMania three, and how he would have just ruined. Every segment that 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 was involved in that whole amazingly good storyline. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm trying to... Oh, my God. And I don't want to see Brother Love and Roddy Piper together, either, so... We, oh, well, you're gonna, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to mind. It's like, they're in those colorful sets because of Piper, when they got that room and everything, and then you put Brother Love in there and let him start running around. And he might have been there. He's probably on the floor running around, but they just didn't cut to him. <laughs> I think Bobby Heenan, too. If he, Bobby Heenan was in this segment... 
what I guess he would have done, I think he would have been encouraging Bad News Brown, like hyping Bad News Brown up. And the minute Bad News Brown put his hand on him, he would all of a sudden be trying to get Bad News Brown to stop doing what he's doing. Yep, or he would have uh, backed off just to uh, get deniability for the whole thing. Yeah. You know, the fact, because when you watch Bad News Brown, you understand, like, something very somber and solemn happened, and I don't know what the consequences are. When you watch Brother Love running around, like, rejoicing in it, then you're like, oh, I guess nothing of consequence did happen. That was just, you know. <laughs> There's, um, in, I think it was Great American Bash 1989, the first Terry Funk, Ric Flair match. I remember very vividly when Terry Funk came out to the ring, it felt like he was walking out of another time to mm. fight Ric Flair. That's one of my favorite memories of that series. And I won't go quite that far, but it does really feel like Bad News Brown is walking out of an entirely different time that nobody is really ready to understand. And the things he does in this Legacy series so far have been just hugely impressive to me. That's fair. There's nothing. There's not a word of exaggeration. Uh, I think Savage, too, is kind of cut from a different cloth. And that's why mm. if you let Savage be Savage and let Bad News Brown be Bad News Brown, you actually had the capabilities to kind of execute this even in 1988 and 89. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of <sighs> Randy Savage is obviously great. And you could argue that he was exactly where he needed to be. But I do wonder if he'd come along later, if this guy had been like an Attitude Era WWF guy. What does that world look like? Because as great as Savage is in this time, he's going to get under Hogan, and he's kind of never going to get out, and uh, it's going to be kind of a shadow in his career. So I always like to think, is there another time and another place where it would have surpassed even? And, you know, you can never know that for sure, but it's the kind of thing I think about. Here's a great question off of that. So who is better than Randy Savage at having the potential to shine in almost any era you can call up. Yeah, very few. He's one of those, like, sure hit guys, in my opinion. I just saw a segment where he's in the back with Vince McMahon during the crush. Uh, mm. Was it that, or was it when he was suspended? I, I think mean, it was a crush way. era. It was it was a moment where I thought, like, oh, well, I don't even, I don't even want to watch this. Because... I agreed with you, and I probably still do to some degree, that, oh, you got Randy Savage who wears the trunks, and you got Randy Savage who wears that full gear. Mm-hmm. But the more and more I watch it, the more I think that full gear is WWF putting upon him mm. more than his lack of ability. Because he is in the back with Vincent Mann, and he cuts a promo in an era that I didn't really enjoy that much, in a character that I didn't really enjoy that much, when WWF just wants him to retire because they want to run their stupid shit about old people versus young people. And he cuts a promo that is, like, to me, 88, 89 level good. Mm. Yeah, I mean, make no mistake, just because I hold 86, 87 short trunks Randy Savage up on the highest pedestal, please do not mistake me in thinking that Full Gear Savage is not incredible at times. Like, he has many, many, many legendary all-time great moments when he's wearing that full gear. So I, I absolutely will praise much of that period uh, it is purely like an energy feeling thing that makes me put in that number one spot, uh, short trunks, 86, 87, mm. Randy Savage. Yeah. And uh, to throw in there, if you want to know when Bruce Pritchard is lying or dodging, <laughs> it's when he's protesting too much. And I don't deny that Randy Savage probably at some point said, you know, I'd like to learn how to book or I'd like to learn how to do this part so that I can have longevity. Mm-hmm. But anytime you touch the conversation of Randy Savage in the 90s, like, he will cut off the conversation. Oh, he wanted to be back there. He wanted that. 
and it's like I watched uh, him doing career work when you're when you're got him in the booth and wrestling Crush and he's still like acting like he's wrestling Hulk Hogan in 1988. So I will, will want to argue that. Plus he wanted to wrestle Bret Hart. Plus he wanted to be retired by Shawn Michaels. Like when was all of that going to happen if he only wanted to be backstage booking? Right, yeah. I mean, you can't take a guy who, who literally left the company so he could go wrestle more and be featured more and say, oh, well, he was happy in the place that he left because he was unhappy. Like, you're you're just speaking obvious untruths at that point. Yeah. It really seems that way. Man. And so here we are. And you look how we jump from era to era because this is what we're talking about. Bad News Brown and uh, Randy Savage don't belong to an era. These These guys, like, when they come in you now center around whatever they're going to do. And that's, that's kind of that authority, that, that authoritative, you're not seeing that from Savage with Hogan, but other times like I am what you look at. I am what's happening. And that both Savage and bad news Brown kind of have that way about them. Absolutely. So the last thing you want to say about this segment before we go to the match, here is proof positive of something else we've been talking about. It was perfectly possible to give uh, these inciting incidents to Savage's opponents during this title reign. Like, you will see, if you watch the uh, Madison Square Garden match, how hot the crowd was for this match. And in part, that's because they built it up, because Brad is Brad is going around saying that Randy Savage's uh, manager slash maybe girlfriend is, like, doing favors for other people. It makes the match hotter. It makes... This is... I said we were going to see twice the old Randy Savage. Here's the old Randy Savage in this match that's coming up because he's going to start the match with an all-out attack. He's not even going to take his gear off. He's going to be showing that fire that is so hot he couldn't put on that shirt if he wanted to because it would just burn off. Like, it fires up everyone involved, and I'm just wondering, like, where was this stuff uh, for all of Randy Savage's reign, which we are now getting towards the end of? Yeah, this match convinced me fully of that because... Like Miss Van just said, this is this is everything you want it to be. Savage has his glasses and his robe on, and he jumps Bad News Brown. Attitude Era comes after this Austin stuff. They as uh, Randy Savage is thrown into the crowd, which you do not really see in this era. So yeah. apparently, you put you put certain personalities and certain types, and what follows is brawls and going into the crowd. <laughs> it's just that energy, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so this match is uh, December thirty. 1988, it is, uh, as I said, Madison Square Garden. You can find this one on YouTube as well. And, uh, again, God bless these people. I put some links around so you can find it. Oh, man. I love, before the match even starts, you have Bad News Brown. He's walking down that hallway of MSG, and I love that hallway so much. And I also love that the only music you hear is not music. It is just the sound of his fists slapping against his hand. And that's like... That's more than enough music that this guy needs. That's Bad News Brown to a team. Yeah, and you got the Manhattan, you got Madison Square Garden, and you got the statement that your champion is going to hell from Harlem. Oh, man. I love that. Oh, I love it so much. This is a, a really excellent match, and I do hope everyone checks this out. I love, like I said, that Savage is a tax brown when he's still wearing his gear, and that is a classic heel Randy Savage move, actually. He used to do that to jobbers, and he would never even take off his gear, and it's a sign of disrespect, it's a sign of his anger and his energy that he is busting out here, and it is even better because this is exactly what Bad News Brown would always do. He always hit the guy the moment they were in the ring together, and he didn't wait for anything, and now the tables are turned because Savage is 1,000% keyed into this feud. 
I feel, and maybe I'm projecting, but I feel like he's been chomping at the bit to get a mm. feud that only involves him, and he really makes the most of it here. No, I agree, because I wrote down, I noted that, again, Elizabeth is the Hulkamaniacs of Savage's Hogan, because, like, we, we talk about all the time, like, why do you have a manager who's also a love interest when you're the jealous type? <laughs> because both Bad News Brown and Randy Savage want to get wound up. They want to be pissed off, and they don't even care if it's going to cost them. Like, maybe it'll cost them one time, but then nine other times, it'll be the thing. They want to be mad, they want to be offended, and they want to, like, fight back. And then what happens when you have two men who are like, no, I'm more pissed off than you, and the other's like, I'm more pissed off than you. You get what you get at Madison Square Garden, which, again, is a matchup that cannot be contained by a ring. It cannot be contained by the outside. It spills into the crowd because these are two men who need to feel provoked. And then they come with it. Just imagine. Just imagine these two, and you get what you get. <laughs> you know, these top top baby faces over the years, um, they all have their own weird uh, kinks for how they're going to get fired up. Sting needs to be betrayed in order to, you know, get it up. Hulk Hogan needs to betray others and act like the victim, and he needs to imagine that his fans are going to be murdered in their beds or something. Like, he has a whole process he needs. And then, yeah, Randy Savage, he needs to put his love interest in harm's way so he can yeah. like, fire himself up to the max. And it's just, it's very interesting that these uh, so-called good guys can only get over by uh, purposely <laughs> putting themselves in these bad scenarios. But, you know, I guess it works. So there you are. This is why the Randy Savage can never compete with Hulk Hogan. If you're going to play this game, mm. because Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage wants to become legit offended, which is risky Hulk Hogan wants to fake offense and bring in the Hulkamaniacs who weren't even part of it and act like they're offended and they're threatened. So one person wants to actually be in harm's way and be offended. One person wants to play at it. So, like, you think, oh, well, we're both in the same boat now. No, Hulk Hogan, you know, is sitting off on the shoreline. You know, that's Dave Sullivan driving that uh, boat that you think uh, Hulk Hogan's in. He's not in it. Oh, man. And that uh, perhaps that is why Hulk Hogan was the most successful, because he required the least actual outside input in order to uh, create these bitter feuds that, um, you know, perhaps he orchestrated from the start. Yeah. And this is why if you're Bad News Brown, if you're Savage, don't listen to the critics. Don't listen to the commentators. Live your life. Go for what you want, because Bad News Brown is being dominated in the beginning of the match. And they're talking about, like, throwing Liz into this. Was this a mistake? And the commentary is, yeah, he did that, and he might not last five minutes in this match. And then about two minutes later, uh, the tide turns, and they're like, yeah, he might win the belt. <laughs> so, you know, just do what you got to do and let the commentators do what they have to do. It speaks to the intensity, though. But, man, yeah, the more I think about the Hogan thing, most baby faces, yeah, they get fired up because they have risked something or something yes. an actual danger. And Hogan, like... He risks nothing, like he risks some imaginary harm towards the fans, <laughs> he risks some imaginary slight to himself, and none of it is true, and yet he is so good at just, like, producing that energy out of nowhere and convincing the world that all these things are at risk and that he, he needs that rocket fuel to keep going. So, I don't know, it's, it's an incredible talent, whatever you may think of that. It's masterful, because Savage has... Liz at ringside in an era where people will threaten her. So he can get distracted. She could get hurt. Their relationship could be damaged. Where, But 
Hulk Hogan, while having nothing on the line, says, you know, like the earth, like the, there's going, the fault is going to, the fault line is going to split, the earth is going to come <laughs> undone, and you're like, oh my god, like that's more intense, <laughs> but that's fiction. <laughs> oh, it's narratives again. He can spin the narrative amazingly, so uh, it, it's a true talent. I want to cry. This is such a good air. <laughs> Isn't it just, though, like you would never think from its reputation, but in some ways it is actually the best era in some ways. Yes. And again, you know, we make these easy categories because we're human beings and we have to do that. But this is where we are about to get into all this like theater with Hogan and Savage. Yet we're in 1998 right now in Madison Square Garden with uh, this uh, Savage uh, Bad News Brown 10 years ahead of his time. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a really excellent match. Like, it is very rough. It is gritty, like you were saying. It feels authentic. You've got um, a lot of stiff hits. You've got Savage doing some big uh, dives to the floor, taking some risks. You do have them going uh, into the crowd a bit, even. Some very fun stuff in here. Yeah, I don't know if Savage does a suicide dive where he jumps over the top rope. Like, he does something where he just dives on the Bad News Brown, which is out of character. He suplexes him back in the ring off the floor. It's just... Everything is just outside of his box in this. Yeah. And it's funny because Savage, if anything, kind of had a reputation for taking it easy on house shows. I've heard that before. But uh, you definitely wouldn't think of it looking at this match because here he's bringing out more stuff than he even brings out on TV. I don't know if it's because it's MSG or maybe that reputation is not deserved or what. But like I said, I feel like he was burdened to get a feud that was really just about him, that has nothing whatsoever to do with Hulk Hogan, and uh, he really made the best of it. I have no idea if this feud is even going to exist by the time we get to the Royal Rumble or anything like that, but in the meantime, it is a great feud. It is. It's also Savage winning, but doing nothing but elevating the profile of Bad News Brown. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Brown looks great out of this, so... Um, I'm excited to see more Brown. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I think he's with Piper at one point because it's kind of an infamous moment. I think uh, he's with Jake at one point, and they have a story going on. So there'll be some interesting stuff with Bad News Brown, but I feel like it's never going to be enough because at one point he's just going to be gone, and I'm going to miss him a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I I was listening to a shoot interview with him the other day, and he mentioned Piper and Jake, so I know both of those are coming. Mm. I don't know what else might be coming. I also want to note that Savage won with the inside cradle out of, a, out of an attempted slam by Bad News Brown, so he barely escaped. Shortly before that, he tried the top rope elbow and just flat missed it. Yeah, yeah, it was um, very nicely done. He won one of his WrestleMania matches like that, I think maybe with Valentine or somebody. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it just showcases, again, the versatility of Savage because he's got a lot of ways to win, and he sells you on him real good. But uh, it's also fun because it's also kind of, it's not a fluke, it is a win, but it's sort of like almost a technicality, and Bad News yeah. Brown is not ready to accept that because he comes right back in the ring and he's hitting Savage with a trash can, and um, I don't know, if they wrestle more, then that must have been great because there's some, some awesome uh, hints of what mm-hmm. other things they could do here. Yeah, in two segments, Bad News Brown takes down Jack Tunney and comes at Savage while Savage has Liz on his shoulder. So he's he is knocking over supposedly iconic uh, figures and moments as he uh, seeks his uh, moment and his time in the WWF. Yep, he is. If only he could have hit uh, Vince McMahon with a ghetto blaster, then maybe yes. maybe history <laughs> would be different. 
Oh, Watch that. I have that as one of the best matches in this era so far, for my liking. It's super exciting. I, I hope everyone will check it out. We'll we'll dig up the links that I have posted or find it on YouTube, because it is worth checking out. 100%. All right, at last we have come to Saturday Night's main event and all the uh, very good and very bad things that we're going to talk about on this show. We Speaking of very bad things, um, <laughs> we start out. Mm. The Ultimate Warrior has definitely taken over. That front spot uh, on the little quick fire video package yeah. at the start. So he is here to scream and to flex his terrifying body, which you may recognize as his only two moves. So He also goes Johnny Drama with the victory, and I thought, sir, no, you are not Johnny Drama, so <laughs> no, sir. Johnny I would like him better if he was. Johnny Drama was deeply um, insecure, and I think the Ultimate Warrior could use a tad bit of doubt or insecurity. Explain this Johnny Drama to me. I'm Johnny Drama is a character on, um, why am I blanking? Entourage. Oh, uh, okay, all right. And so, like, the main character is, like, good-looking, famous actor, but Johnny Drama is the older brother who was an actor on a much lower scale before his brother was famous. And so, like, his brother, he's living in his brother's house, but he's trying to get his career back. And when he falls, man, he falls hard. And, he, like, he's... He he has a big his victory yelling out victory is his kind of catchphrase tagline so he'll go you know like he'll get super excited when he thinks he's got a victory and then he'll do everything to unravel it but Warrior gives the same victory cry and it just like sir you're not as complex as Johnny Drama <laughs> drop it I can see a few parallels there. For sure. Oh my. Yeah. Warrior won't sabotage though. It's almost the opposite in a way in that Johnny Drama actually has opportunities and he sabotages it. Warrior, uh, I'm still waiting for the first time that the Warrior does anything that is off of the talent of the human being playing the part. <laughs> we have to wait a little while for that. So. We'll see if it happens. You know what happened? I found myself rooting for the... Jesus Christ, okay. I I found myself rooting for the Honky Tonk Man on this show. I, I, I'm i with you, bud. I'm, I'm right there, so... That's I was like, he's kind of charming. You I never knew it. Life. Never saw that before. Jesus. <laughs> oh, what have you done, Ultimate Warrior? <laughs> Honky Tonk Man says he's the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time, and yeah, the fans want to see him do it. He's going to do it tonight. So we got that rematch coming. And then, my God, we've gone from the Warrior to the Honky Tonk Man, the Brutus, the Barber Beefcake. Yeah, Jesus. Um, he's, <laughs> make, he's making pervy faces and snipping his scissors, as you might expect. We finally get to someone less terrible. We have Akeem and my man, Slick. They remind us there are more important things than title belts like brotherhood and fair play. Slick says they pledge to never rest until Hulk Hogan is gone. And I'm looking around for the heel stuff, and I don't see it anywhere in this promo. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I'm kind of on Team Slick here. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who says that they're for brotherhood and fair play, I'm sure they really are. Slick is just, all he's done to me is he's adopted Hulk Hogan's gimmick and he's playing it back like in Hulk Hogan's face. <laughs> Slick is so good. He is the clear number two manager right now, in my opinion, like far ahead of everyone else. I think in a way, Hogan probably wants to get away from Bossman and Akeem and get the Savage because they, he's lucky that I don't think people are going to have a lot of sympathy for uh, Slick and Bossman and Akeem, but... They, I think this is the closest I've ever seen to neutralizing him because they, they're giving him his rhetoric right back at him. 
<laughs> indeed, indeed. And there's only so much he can do about that. But he's Hogan, so of course he will be able to spin it his own way. And what does he do? He comes off right after Slick and says the word honor, which you know Slick using like he knows nothing about honor. Like he is quickly defending the fact, like he doesn't get that narrative. Remember, I'm honor. You might be mistaken because this might sound just alike and we might behave just alike, but no. Remember, I'm honor. He's he's dishonor, right? Remember this. We know this, right? You know. <laughs> So uh, yeah. <laughs> it shows Slick. Slick's making some inroads. <laughs> he, he knows uh, he's got that uh, gift of the gab. He has he knows just what to say. God, I love Slick. He's great. Hogan's always got some good lines. Though. He says, Akeem, I don't know where you come from, but I know where you're going. And the 24 inch pythons will. Uh, God, what is I need to be able to read my writing. Uh, will point the way, so like arms point and then like morality points. This is a bar, it's a double entendre from Mr. Hulk Hogan. And then we go to Jesse the Body Ventura and Vince McMahon. What a team while we have them for Saturday night's main event. Indeed, so they introduce the show and throw back to Gene Okerlund, who is urging the outlaw Ron Bass to remember other times mm. Brutus Beefcake has cut things, so... That's the oh, dear God. And then, yeah, a list of things that he has no business. Like, everything that you own has been cut up by Brutus Beefcake. That has nothing to do with wrestling. It definitely has nothing to do with a so-called baby face. It has nothing to do with decency. It has nothing to do with wanting to be a great wrestler. You know, Beefcake made a joke in the beginning saying that uh, Ron Bass cost him the belt when, like, you don't care about belts. So, like, why would that offend you? <laughs> uh, it's, um... <sighs> Who... Who in or out of K-Fob would ever want to feud with Brutus Beefcake? He's just going to, like, cut up your stuff and cut your hair and be, like, weird and pervy. And no matter how offensive you are or aren't, you can't get away from any of these consequences because they have nothing to do with you. It's all about Brutus Beefcake just being a pervy weirdo. So, I don't know. Like, uh, if I was working here... In or out of K-File, I would be like, just don't feud me with that weirdo over there. Just whatever you do, I'll fight anyone else, for God's sake. Yeah. And it's a similarity with Hacksaw, because when you watch them in feuds, like, the other person's not really part of it. They just keep coming at the person, interrupting the person, disrupting the person, and the other person is halfway not even a part of it. <laughs> at least with Duggan, though, he'll just, like, hit you with the board, and then he'll leave. He'll probably forget you exist. But Beefcake, man, he's like, you know, he'll destroy all your property. He'll humiliate you. He'll attack you and cut your hair and do all this stuff. He'll make you unconscious and do things to your body. And just, like, yeah. he's the worst. He's the actual worst. And your case, several times, uh, he's talking about, like, I don't want to forget any of it. I want to remember it all. And I'm thinking, like, oh, Miss fans, Miss Van got this guy right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, unfortunately, more and more, it seems that way. Oh, there's so, there's so little redeeming about Brutus Beefcake. Oh my god. What is the, what is the little redeeming part? Uh, he was in that tag team with Greg Valentine, and he wasn't so weird and offensive at that time. That's all I have. So. Okay. So we go to the matchup, uh, Beefcake and Ron no, Bass. No, no, no. Before that, there's something really important that I have to highlight. They okay. show in this, and this, this shows exactly that it is no morality and only narrative, because they show back-to-back -back clips of these two 
attacking the other while they are molesting jobbers. They're doing the same damn thing, mm. and neither one is right, and they're both wrong, and karma should come for both of these guys, but it will only come for one tonight, unfortunately. That's a good point. It, it, there's nothing wrong in what be because I maybe if if Hills like smiled more and just acted like they were enjoying like doing bad things because it's almost like the difference is like, well, look at BK, he's having fun, <laughs> you know. Okay, so that makes everything okay, Vince McMahon. I could that that highlighted the hypocrisy of this era tremendously to me because it's like a clip of Ron Bass. He's doing something with Spurs, and they're like, Brutus Beefcake couldn't take it anymore. He came out to save this guy, and then instantly they cut to Brutus Beefcake like shaving some poor jobber who never did anything mm-hmm. in his life to him, and Ron Bass comes out, and they're like, and then Ron Bass, this piece of shit, came out, and how could he do that? So it's just. It, there is zero morality in this era. It does not exist. Absolutely. And when things cannot get worse, uh, Brutus the pervert be, uh, gets a whip. So. Jesus. He's in the ring, uh, snapping uh, the whip of Ron Bass to start the matchup. This is a terrible I, match because neither of these guys do anything interesting ever. And if you aren't into their stupid gimmicks, there's nothing to be here for. Like, there's no... There's no reason to come to this match. Yeah. I said, a million times I'm going to remind people that this is the guy that made event Starcade 94. <laughs> because worst crime. It, oh, my nothing. God. Nothing. Like, I, my notes are, there's nothing, there's nothing to say. Again, unless, you, unless you're getting off to what Beefcake gets off on, then there's nothing to say. <laughs> it's a very specific search category on a, a disreputable <laughs> site. And oh, you could take a shot for every time Vince McMahon responds with, "I don't know about that" to Jesse Ventura or anyone else. Which is a classic. Uh, Ventura made a great point that Vince cannot counter. Um, yes. <laughs> I love the commentary is the only thing worth coming for because at one point Ventura accuses Vince of putting on a toupee at 7 a.m. every morning, and Vince's only objection is seven. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Not only is that great banter, but also, you know that Vincent Man would be offended, like, I'm up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, taking my steroids and working out, how dare you say 7 o'clock? Right, yeah, I had this thing surgically implanted to my head, you know, yes. you're, you're underestimating my intensity, that's the only bad thing here, so... And I love that line. That was a great line. And then more Vince McMahon stuff is the fact that Beefcake has the whip at the beginning of the match, he used a fist like 15 times, and for no reason, it's not like it's a special match. It's like, well, the referee's giving leniency. And then Ron Bass puts uh, Beefcake in the corner for less than the five-second count. And he's like, come on, ref, get him out of there. <laughs> uh, the hypocrisy abounds in every direction. You know, this match was bad enough as it is, but it pissed me off even more that uh, Ron Bass, he seems to have this match won like 10 times. Yeah. And it felt like someone was missing a cue or something because he just kept on pulling up Beefcake and like prolonging the match. And like, th- th- there's supposed to be this big stipulation, and you know, there's no respect for it, and there's no reason for Ron Bass to do any of this. It's just, I don't know what the point of it is. Like, it was just very stupid. This is a terrible match. I hate this match. When Jesse Ventura can't cover for you, you know, you're you're out there on a limb. Even Vince, yeah, Vince Ventura couldn't figure out even what stupid thing he was doing, so I don't know. 
My guess is if I'm going to not only lose to this idiot but get my hair cut, I will have him clearly beat three to four times before the match is over. <laughs> well, bully for you, but it wasn't worth it for me. Oh, no. my God. So, of course, Beefcake wins. Sorry, go ahead. There's nothing more disgusting than the combination of the sleeper and then the haircut. So what you're doing is you're putting him to sleep so that he can't consent and can't have anything to do with it, and then you're cutting his hair. It's and then you magically tap him on the shoulder, and he wakes up. Like I, Even as a kid, like I didn't have any reason to hate it, but I was like, I fucking hate this. So I didn't say <laughs> I fucking hate this, but I fucking hated it. Good taste. Good taste from a young mystic. Oh, my God. And it's it so takes gross. so long, and it's so awkward, and... Uh, it's terrible. And it's like, this is primetime TV, so yeah, we'll give you 25 minutes to stand over him, you know, and then cut his hair a little bit with scissors, then go get a razor, start over again. Like, just take your time, Beefcake. Right. Take your time. Apparently, we just have infinite time for Beefcake to shave people. Ridiculous. Uh, Vince Ventura stuck out there mentioning, like, every bald-related thing that they can think of to try to cover up this segment. And they're like, oh... What about Gene Okerlund? He's bald, and, yeah. you know, like, they can't even cover for what's going on, so. If you enjoy this, is it an, is it an embodied, like, does it, is it like a physical rush? Like, I, I don't want, like, I want, I want honest answers, so I'm not judging you. Like, I don't think it can be intellectual, so it has to be like a gut or a body or something. Is it like... <laughs> Do you feel like the guy's getting what they deserve? Or is it just like, oh, this is a wild guy? Or like, oh, my God, hair being cut. Is it like uh, watching people, like, run into something? Like, what is happening? Because the fans cheer it all the time. WWF gives time. People enjoy it. But, like, if you told me right now, I will give you a million dollars if you watch this segment and have honest enjoyment, I wouldn't know what part of me to consult to try to get that done. Uh, it must be something, because, yeah, Beefcake's over, like, they cheer. I think, ostensibly, it must be just, like, the revenge thing, like, the comeuppance thing, but it's just so far beyond the pale of anything that makes any sense in that regard. I don't know. The only rare answer I've gotten to this question online is basically, well, I liked him when he was a kid, and now I don't. It, it doesn't really <laughs> hold up at all, so I don't know. Maybe it just appeals to children in some way that we can't understand anymore, so I don't know. It might, but I have to look at the crowd because I'm, I'm guessing if I do, there's going to be a bunch of adults standing up, jumping up and down. Yeah, I have no idea. I got nothing for that. Yeah, I have no idea, but I really would like to know the answer before I die. And I might die if I have to watch a few more of these, so get me an answer soon, folks. <laughs> it's more, it's like with Duggan and Warrior and these guys, like, I can understand it on some level, you know? Yeah. I don't really get it, but I sort of understand it. Beefcake is the most mysterious one to me, certainly. Yeah. I, Warrior is part of a whole tradition. I, I can understand the embodiment, number one, the physical, because the music, the paint, the just phenomenal like power that he has. And then, if you're weird enough, he's connected to something with his hands and, and the warriors and the spirits <laughs> and all of that. Yeah. You know, Duggan, you know, if you're that kind of like, oh, my God, you know, USA flag hit them with a two by four because they're doing what they want to do inside a country that's supposed to be a free country. You know, <laughs> good, good times. Uh, beefcake. I do one of two things. Either I get irritated and I'm just like fu fucking pissed off that I have to keep watching this. Or most of the time I just start looking at my desk or my notes or thinking about things I have to do later in the day because I don't know what to do. And then I just have to like distract myself until it's done because I have no way of engaging it. 
yeah, it's um, it's baffling. I don't even know what else to say about it. So, I <laughs> I can't believe there's more of this guy. Like we're not even done yet. So, oh, right. not close to done. He'll be there in '93. So, uh, <laughs> long time. Gene Okerlund, uh, big boss man, Akeem, and Slick. And I love again. Like this is another Hogan move because Slick is just so honorable. And, you know, they're just trying to get justice. And then what the hell is the big boss man doing there? Like, he has nothing to do with the match. So, like, <laughs> the visual tells you the man's a liar, but the man is committed to the lie, which is the whole Kogan move. He's also, this is another one where, like, kind of playing up, like, pushing back against societal structures where it's like, you know, once you've been to jail one time, you've been to jail to another time, you're a repeat offender and you can't get what you deserve and blah, blah, blah. And you know, it needs to be worse because you're a repeat offender. And he takes that tag and puts it on Hulk Hogan, who is the ultimate repeat offender. <laughs> so this, this this is good stuff, but it's also ballsy because Hulk Hogan is screwing Savage at this moment, and Slick is shining a light on Hulk Hogan's character. So man, this stuff is just good, good, good all the way through. It absolutely is, and I'm gonna push back because Hogan is hanging out with his buddies as well. So why shouldn't Big Boss Man be there? Especially since we know that low down, dirty Hogan. Uh, definitely will beat up a, a man like Slick, who is about a third of his size. Why shouldn't he have this uh, protection around him? His friends, you know, but why not? I'm sure. I'm sure it's all on the level. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I mean, it's as on the level as what the other side is doing, so. Oh, I agree. I agree. It's absolutely that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so, yeah, you get them backstage. You get uh, Hogan backstage as well with Liz and his little buddy, Randy Savage, he's there too. Mm -hmm. But uh, interestingly, they go off in different directions when the promo is done. Hogan and Liz to the ring. Savage and Okerlund go off to another location, which will be very familiar to us. I'm going to wait to speak on that. This is the beginning of one of the most unbelievable storylines and and just nuance and, like I said, literature and callbacks and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Number one, Elizabeth does nothing but cause trouble for Randy Savage as far as being a manager when there are other people at ringside. But Randy Savage, we have kind of assessed, wants to be pissed off. He wants her to be threatened. He wants to kind of rise up out of that. Mm. Why would Hulk Hogan be taking her into this? (laughs) And what is the justification? Yeah, because Hogan has to uh, co-opt everything of Randy Savage's. We know this. My mega partner manager... um, and then also the comment, Lady Luck is riding high on my shoulder, but he kind of gives this shot, like this pose of like the Savage Liz pose. He's so slippery with what he does. Savage shows up, and you think Savage is going to be accompanying Hulk Hogan because he's got his back. Um, Hulk Hogan says, now I'll have eyes in the back of my head. And Savage says, that's exactly why I'm here to keep an eye on things. <laughs> yeah there's some good lines in here already uh some foreshadowing perhaps so oh boy i'm just thinking about man can you imagine being liz in this scenario and being between mm. these two guys holy crap that's the last place in the universe i think that i'd want to be yeah and i we have never been given a reason like is she a fan of pro wrestling does she like being a manager but now she has found herself, not Bobby Heenan, not Slick, 
Not anyone else. She has found herself the manager of Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan at the heights of their careers. And she seems to be enjoying, if anything, she almost enjoys herself more with the Hulkster, it looks like, mm-hmm. uh, than the Macho Man, which I don't know what to make of that. But, you know, she seems to almost laugh and have more character with Hulk Hogan. So I don't know what's going on with Liz, but I know that she's about to have her life complicated before this episode is over. Oh, yes, even more so. I, I feel like it would be complicated anyway just to be between these two. And, yes. Um, <laughs> oh, man, the way – maybe I just have a dirty mind, but at one point in this episode, the way they're just, like, crowding her on either side. Um, <laughs> can you imagine, like, both of these guys being after you at the same time, both of these giant steroid monsters? Like, just that alone. I don't know how she's having a good time in there. I guess maybe she's into that, but, man – I would be terrified all the time. So, and we know Hulk Hogan is into like sleeping with the the women that his friends are with. So, yep. You know, I really that's the only genuine. Like, I feel like ninety seven percent of Hulk Hogan in this is like manipulating, and I think there's about three percent that he's just a genuine like perv and like <laughs> you know like, he wouldn't see like oh we're the mega power so why would we not be like sharing Liz you know like what. <laughs> How does it not make sense, brother? You know, like, I think he would return the favor if Savage were so inclined. But so then you got two things. You got Hogan manipulating Savage. And then you if you get down to you and that three percent of like that, what that personality is, is so opposite of Randy Savage, which is very conservative, very like uh, build walls type thing. And Hogan is knock every wall down. And all right, we're all a team now. Let's show, show me what you got. Uh, mega powers. Oh, boy. <laughs> So every single way this doesn't work for Randy Savage. And that's why this is so beautiful that you have an enthusiastic Hulk Hogan genuinely, genuinely saying, I'll have eyes in the back of my head. And Randy Savage, who is performing like a cartoon villain when he says, that's exactly why I'm here to keep an eye on things. And like, it's almost like they're in two different worlds as they stand next to each other. And it's so good. Oh, man, yeah, the split uh, is already there. The nuance is being created in front of our very eyes. So we will get to the match. The only thing I'm going to say is somebody in this threesome uh, pitched an actual threesome at some point, and I can't say who and I can't say why, but you know it happened. So Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, here's what I'm excited about. We go back. <laughs> this is the second time we get to see a Randy Savage that I uh, – missed and that I was happy to see again because we are going to the same little TV room where Randy Savage once watched Ricky Steamboat and agonized over his fate. Now he is back in that room and that room is a catalyst for Randy Savage turning. I have uh, deduced from the evidence and he is now going to agonize over the fate of Hulk Hogan or is he? So uh, I'm excited to be in this little room again. I love the visual that, yeah, of it. it. I love the history I, of it. I pop for that big time because he didn't turn face off of that, but but he struggled and it helped launch the face turn. And he's not going to turn heel off of it here, but it's going to do the exact same thing that the face moment did. And the fact that they put this together, like I don't know who's doing this stuff, but good for you. Yeah, so good. I, I can't even say if this was intentional, but I feel like it must be because I've never seen this room in yeah. any other context. So somebody was paying very close attention, and I love that person. So, 
Absolutely. So we got Hogan versus Akeem going on in the ring. Elizabeth at ringside, Bossman at ringside, Slick at ringside, Gene Okerlund and Randy Savage backstage at a monitor watching the match. Okay, and I gotta take a second, because Hogan just dominates Akeem here, of course, and he's, like, embarrassing him and, like, stuffing his own bandana in his mouth and all this, like, ridiculous stuff. And somebody pitched, and I don't know if they're being serious, but somebody pitched, oh, Randy Savage, maybe he couldn't beat Akeem on that other show because they were keeping Akeem, like, for Hogan or something. And, okay, A, you don't need to do that, because Hogan's just going to embarrass him anyway. And, B, looking ahead, this match doesn't even end, like, properly either. So, no, they weren't saving Akeem for anything. They just wouldn't give Randy Savage a damn win. So that's that's my little tangent there. That's a fair... And, you know, I think that's a fair assessment. And I think the next step over is I don't think Savage should have been wrestling Akeem. Well, like, like I said, he seemed to have feud with Akeem for 49 weeks of his title reign, and that just shouldn't have happened. So, yeah. yeah. I, but watching Bad News Brown, that's all I had is I don't need Savage Wrestling. Andre, like, if you want to have it, you can, but I don't need that. I don't need Akeem. I don't need anything that is the Hulk Hogan special. Right. Because Hogan's going to beat up all three men, but he doesn't, he doesn't surround all three like Savage. He can't do what Savage does like Randy Savage. Right. And Randy Savage can't do what Hulk Hogan does like Hulk Hogan. And, mm-hmm. you know, give me... A Ted DiBiase feud, because that's natural coming out of WrestleMania, put something into it. Then you not only have a great feud, but you have Savage and Hercules as an even better team, because then Hercules is coming in on that feud with DiBiase. Give me uh, Savage versus uh, the Brain Busters, Savage versus Arn, Savage versus Tully, and feud with Bobby Heenan. Give me a tag match with Demolition versus Randy Savage and Hercules. Like mm-hmm. Give me all of this stuff, people his size, keep him on that path but he started with Ricky Steamboat and keep Hulk Hogan over here on the big man train. Yeah, absolutely. Could have done, should have done. Uh, I strongly agree, as you might have guessed. This matchup is not a matchup. Like, not only does Hogan beat them all up for, like, the whole time, but they kind of just go through the same skits again because it has nothing to do with what's going on in the ring. It has everything to do with, you know, Randy Savage not helping out. Oh, man. Yeah, the match is nothing. Like, ignore the match. Uh, it's just background noise, basically. But where this gets brilliant, and I mean mm. really brilliant, we get a rough bump. We get Hogan. He's getting beaten up by all three guys, by Slick, by Akeem, by Big Boss Man. They're laying into him. And Savage is backstage, and this killed me because he, Gene Okerlund's like, oh, Hulk Hogan's in trouble. Randy Savage is like, oh, yeah, Hogan will be fine. Like... <laughs> He has no interest in going down to help the guy, and yet there's, like, another layer to it, because Savage, he's going to be completely right, because Hogan's just going to hulk up, and he's going to basically win anyway, but then there's another, another, another layer, because while this beatdown is going on, Liz runs to the back, which is basically her finishing mm-hmm. move at this point, like it's been done so many times. She finds Savage. She's like, come on, we got to help. And Savage is like, no, he's okay. He's fine. He's going to come back. And again, he's totally right. This stuff is brilliant to me because it is subverting what we have seen before. It is a turn without an actual turn. It is a layer of nuance. I absolutely love this whole sequence here. I do too. It's it's callback after callback. It's hanging a lantern on the thing, but it's never saying explicitly. So even Vince McMahon, who has to give some babyface privilege to Savage, but also wants the fans to know that Savage is also misbehaving, he'll never say it. What he says is, Macho Man has a lot of confidence in Hogan. And then the next time, maybe he has too much confidence in Hogan. So, you know, 
And then the list things like this, all of this really started when Randy Savage was being beat down and Elizabeth runs away and comes back with Hulk Hogan. And a lot of questions abound. Like, what is Elizabeth's relationship with Hulk Hogan that she would come back there and do it? What does it do? Like, I feel like Savage is almost the kind of person that would rather die in the ring than have Liz run out and get another man and save him. But this is where we're at now. And now we've created a team. And at least it's at least underneath all of that is the intimacy of relationships. She went to get somebody because she wants to help you because she cares about you. But now, but now, but now she has run away from ringside to get Randy Savage to help Hulk Hogan. So the intimacy that is underneath perhaps is an intimacy for the well-being of Hulk Hogan. It is wild. And then it's Randy Savage no-selling. Like, Randy Savage, he's learning to play Hulk Hogan's game. God bless him because he's so on the sleeve um, about everything. And here he, here he is lying kind of to Gene Erkland, misleading him. And then even Elizabeth, imagine Elizabeth running backstage panicked, and he's no-selling Elizabeth. He, he sends Elizabeth back to ringside by herself. And so until later on when it real, the threat becomes the real threat, it, he's at the point that he would theoretically risk Elizabeth before he inadvertently too soon helps Hulk Hogan. That's where Randy Savage is after all of this. Well, I mean, that's um, Randy Savage putting Liz in harm's way is his whole M.O., you know, face or heel. We've talked about it. That's what he does. So it, it can't be surprising that he does it here. But, yes, I love just like – the emotional wall, the emotional blindness that he uh, affects here to get out of going to help Hulk Hogan. And it's perfect because you, you look at what he does and you know that it's not sincere, that it's not right. And yet the things he are saying, you can't completely discount them either, especially yes. because I stress this again, he's totally right because Hulk Hogan does Hulk up, he does come back, and he basically wins the match. You know, there's a DQ at the end, but basically he was going to win anyway. So he didn't actually really need Randy Savage's help, and that's the nuance, and that's the layer of Savage doing something that is not completely right and not completely wrong either. There is a layer to it that you do not always get in wrestling, and I love that stuff. It is brilliant uh, that that you just pointed out the brilliance because even when he hulks up, we cut back to Randy Savage who says, "I told you so." Yes, and he was right. Even so every I mega power fan who's on the edge of their seat can now breathe a sigh of relief because after all of that, it really is okay after all. Mm, yeah. Don't worry about it. It's okay. He <laughs> knew Hogan would not hulk up. Yeah, don't worry about it. This this is the world of difference between the turn that comes at the drop of the hat with no buildup, with no clues, just like a sudden moment meant to shock. And this is why those turns are usually very inferior, because you give me a turn like this, and this is not really the beginning. Like, this has been brewing for some time, but it takes a big step forward here, and yet there are more steps to take. There's yes. more to come. The slow-burning turn executed on this level is very rare and very beautiful i love it yeah this is the stuff i just want to sit down and live inside mm -hmm. the nuance the patience the brilliance 
And the only thing I'll say about it, yes, Savage always puts Liz at risk, but usually he's within her vicinity when it's happening. But now he's created a moment where he's backstage, she's at the ring, and what we're going to get is another callback to Jimmy Hart and the Honky Tonk Man because Liz crosses the threshold. She gets in the ring, but again, she's not getting in the ring for Randy Savage. She is putting now her body on the line for Hulk Hogan because Randy Savage would not do anything. And she is now inside the ring despite what happened the last time. It's, you know, Savage has played this game perfectly. And he's played Hulk Hogan. For once, Randy Savage has played Hulk Hogan. But the kind of wild card that's going to, you know, go from, okay, everything is okay, to no, there might still be a problem, is when Elizabeth steps into the ring. And you have to also look at how much did Randy Savage possibly want to uh, punish Liz in this scenario? How much mm-hmm. blame did he maybe put in her direction? Because we saw at Survivor Series, you know, the way that she uh, kind of went to Hogan before Savage. We saw the look that he had. We saw the way that whole scenario played out. We know Savage is a very, very jealous person. So yeah. there's yet another layer on top of it all. Yeah, it feels like almost like an awful test. Like, I kind of think that she is not really loyal to me. And if I stand back far enough, she'll show. And again, like, you can, like, you can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Her loyalty could be with the person she was with, but you won't help her. You won't help Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you're putting the world into, like, a spinning orbit that might come out differently than you might get what you want to in your paranoia is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's yet another, 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 another layer of nuance because uh, it's easy for us, kind of from the outside, to look at this and say, well, Hulk Hogan pretty much like caused all the problems here, and yet, mm. arguably because of the way Hogan has treated the situation, but still, Randy Savage is making choices here that will end up alienating him from Liz, that will alienate him from uh, from others, and um, you know, it's not. Uh, there's a lot on both sides of this for sure. That was a beautiful thing I noted somewhere is that the behavior of Hulk Hogan has caused Randy Savage to react differently than he would. And the behavior of Randy Savage is causing Liz to react differently than she would. Mm -hmm. So everybody's looking at somebody else, but they're causing an impact on the person they're not looking at at the moment. (laughs) Who's Hogan looking at? Just himself, I would think. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. That's a phenomenal question. Phenomenal question. Hulk Hogan, he's looking at all those Hulkamaniacs, you know, who are threatened by the fact that, you know, something, something, so-and-so, this and that, brother. <laughs> he says that. I don't know if he's really ever looking at them. But, nah. Uh, oh my he's God. looking at himself standing. Because there was a moment where, I think it's later on when, when, you, when you're talking about both men are lying to make everything okay. Yep. My note somewhere is Hulk Hogan saying, like, the mega powers cannot explode. We're not close enough to WrestleMania 5 yet. Mm, yeah. Yeah, no, the story continues to uh, to move along and have powerful beats and not be rushed and not finish all at once. It's beautifully laid out. I love this because, yeah, like you were saying, Liz gets in the ring, boss man threatens her, he puts a handcuff on her, we don't know what he's going to do. Now... Savage shows up with a chair, and, you know, that was uh, his the, what he was waiting for, essentially, I think, to see if it would happen, and then he was going to come out, and not before, because um, that was a line that he wasn't ready to cross, because that would have firmly put him 
in the bad category, and he doesn't really want to be there, I think. He wants to be the savage that everybody loves, but he also wants to start behaving like himself again, and those things don't necessarily go together. So that's a great story beat. And then you have Liz, and right away, she goes to check on Hulk Hogan. She doesn't go to Savage first, and Savage turns around, and he sees Liz checking on Hogan, and man, like, I felt an emotional blast at this scene, at this visual. This was really incredible. This spoke a lot of things to me without saying a word. Oh, God, this is, this is brilliant, too, because about three times Savage has a chair and he's interacting with the ref, and Liz is kind of doing this thing where she's going over the Hogan, then going back to Savage, like she's trying to wheel Savage to check on Hogan. And again, absent his responsibilities, she steps in on behalf of Randy Savage. So Savage actually calls this thing, but by the time he finally looks around, all he sees is Elizabeth checking on Hogan, and it's no longer looks, it's no longer guessing. He snatches Liz by the arm, and they are staring at each other. And Hulk Hogan, I don't know what, this is why it's also so great, because I don't know. If I'm Hulk Hogan and I got brutalized, but I see Savage out there. Do I think, well, Savage came out and helped? Do I think, my God, they're fighting and this is going exactly how I want it to go? <laughs> like, I don't know. And I can't ever say. Right. Oh, man. Two things I want to say about this. Um, first, I mentioned I was going to give some praise to Hulk Hogan. And I have two points I think I'm going to praise him on. And one point, I have to say... You can say it was for manipulation. You can say it was selfish for his own gain. You can say anything you want. It's probably true about Hulk Hogan. But he never stood in the back when Savage was getting mm. beaten up and didn't come out when Liz came for him. And maybe, like I said, he did that for his own reasons. But he never did that. So Savage has now crossed the line that Hogan didn't cross. And maybe Hogan took him up to that line. Maybe he didn't. But uh, the actions count more than the intentions sometimes. Yeah. That's, that, that's beautiful, because when I sit here this, throughout this whole episode, because this stuff plays out throughout the whole show, it's thinking how much we ascribe in our storytelling, and even our own lives, especially the more divided we all are, is like, okay, here's my stance, and that stance is just all of a sudden, that's the good stance and the right stance, and then here's anything that's not my stance, and that's the bad stance. And what you have here is... I read somewhere, um, it was sent to me actually by my girlfriend, it's some kind of writing thing, I think New York Times did it, but it's talking about part of the reason that we don't banish the wolf is because it's the wolf that makes us rise up and become the hero, like we have to have that, that context, but all, what I said to her, I'll also say here, if all of us decide we're going to banish the wolf, then we all have to banish ourselves too because there's a time in your life where you are the wolf at someone else's door or you're the wolf at your own door because all of us in our behavior, not in how we see ourselves, in our behavior, sometimes we behave wonderfully, sometimes not so much. Sometimes we see ourselves, sometimes we don't. And what Ms. Shane just gave you, we have been hurling these accusations at Hulk Hogan. And yet, Hulk Hogan never stayed in the back. And I think a lot of times genuinely helped Randy Savage and genuinely at times enjoyed what was going on. And Randy Savage has just crossed a line. So there is guilt on all sides right now. And there's confusion on all sides. 
And who knows if Randy Savage is being his best Randy Savage, his worst Randy Savage, somewhere in the middle. Who knows if Hulk Hogan is being his best self. But life is going to keep on moving. Interviews are going to come. Tag matches are going to become. And sometimes there's no point where you can slow down, become aware, and get a hold of this thing. They both have behaved poorly, and they both escalated. And the mega powers are going to explode. And all hands might be dirty by the time that it's over. That is so powerful. Um, there's a ton of powerful stuff on this whole show. Uh, there, there were three moments. This is the second part I wanted to make. There are three moments, I think, on this whole episode that we watched that really spoke very strongly to me. The first one was all the Bad News Brown stuff. I can't stress enough how strongly that spoke to me. The second one, Randy Savage standing in the back in that little TV room that forces him to cross lines that he wouldn't cross usually, saying... Hulk Hogan is fine when he's not fine, saying that he will be fine, and being right and also being wrong, and that was powerful, but maybe the most powerful one of all is when Savage turns around and sees Elizabeth Hogan, and, like, the bottom dropped out for me there, because that was such a powerful, sad, lonely moment, and I saw in that one moment every feeling you've ever had if you've been in a relationship that is falling apart and you don't know how to stop it, and when you are doing things that feel right to you in the moment, and yet you feel uneasy deep down, and you think maybe you're doing the wrong thing, maybe you're driving people away, but you can't seem to stop yourself, Savage is on a train to a personal disaster here, and he sees it, and he knows everything that's going to happen, I think, and he knows the things that he's going to do that are going to be wrong, and he knows he's going to lose Liz in this moment, and he knows his friendship is going to fall apart, and his life is going to change completely. I feel like he sees it all in this moment, and it shifts things in a way that can't be unshifted. Something breaks in this moment, I think, and I don't know, it just, it, it hit me in an emotional way that I rarely have felt in wrestling. And it's such a small moment that you could maybe even just look past it to the bigger story, but it's so personal. It's so deep and it's so emotional. And I think it's one of the reasons this feud is one of the best feuds of all time. I had a wave of chills three times listening to your analysis and thinking about that segment. I think about being a teenager. I was more like Savage as a teenager, and then somewhere in life, I realized life was not as serious as I was making it. And But I know what it's like to be guarded. I know what it's like to have a mind that can race ahead and interpret every bad thing. Like I can never see the potential, but I can tell you 12 things that could go wrong. And I feel like Randy Savage is the kind of person, the same way he plots out a match that has 127 uh, spots in it, and you memorize them, he has 127 ways in his mind that, that his world's about to fall apart. Mm. And it's going to fall apart. It's not even going to be quick, I better decide, am I going to lose the belt or I'm going to lose Elizabeth? My friend, you're going to lose everything. Mm. And Hulk Hogan is just the guy not to think about anything and just act in those moments. And Randy Savage is the guy to stand there. And we watched him before stand there and mean mug and that's, we're past that now. So we're watching Randy Savage, as Miz fans said, clutching and clutching. And everybody knows this story that when you're in this kind of situation and you're desperate and you're jealous and you're a lot of other things, the, the, the more firm the grip, guaranteed, 
is equivalent to the, uh, to, to the amount you're going to lose. Randy Savage is on top of the world, Miz fan. He's world champion. He has the love of his life in his yep. corner, and all of it is essentially already gone. Yeah. I, he's, I feel like he's sliding down a cliff, and he knows that he's sliding down, and he sees the edge, and he just knows that there's nothing he can do. And the worst part is he also knows there's something he could do, and yet to do that, to go back on who he is, would break him in a different way that he also cannot do. Like he would have to break himself to move in the other direction, even though the direction he's heading is disaster. So it's just, it's this terribly sad, lonely situation. And for Savage, it feels like there's just no way out, you know, and it's a prison of his own mind, but it's one that I don't think he can escape. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to know who in the world books wrestling in 1989, because we had maybe our best episode in the Legacy series talking about that Terry Funk, mm. Ric Flair promo and the vulnerability and just the felt sense. And we're in 1989 again, and this stuff is happening all over again. Yeah. This stuff is hard to watch, but it's also it's what I'm there for. It's what I'm here for, because I've said it a million times, like your life is short. So if you're going to put something in front of me that I'm going to spend my time watching, I won't value in it. And this uh, fall, in two weeks, I'm doing an independent study, a student requested. She wanted to know, like, how is it that I can watch stories or collectively we can watch stories and human beings can be changed by stories. So we're doing an entire independent study on how stories change us. And one belief is kind of from an evolutionary standpoint that life was so dangerous and the threat was so big and you could so easily lose your life that you needed somebody to tell you, show you, if I go out and I do X, Y, and Z, am I going to be okay? Am I going to die? Am I going to make a choice that I can't come back from? So let me watch you so I can have the emotional investment and I can see what happens before I make a choice. And we are watching some of the worst case scenarios for what happens if you fill in the blank. And it's playing out in a way that's genuine, that is layered, that is real, that you sit there and you're watching entertainment and you're not saying, oh my God, look how smart I am. I know that this is not this. You're sitting there and you're in it and you know what's going to happen before it happens. And yet when it happens, it only validates the experience more because it's happening on a real lived human level. Good stuff. Yeah. The storyline has definitely lived up to uh, everything that I hoped it would be. And more honestly, like it's um, it's a powerful story and it's one uh, that I haven't actually seen all of before. Um, so, yeah, this is this is some amazing good stuff here. There are things I don't know. And I will say really quick, www.lopforums.com. I do not want to know the answer to this. <laughs> so. What happens to Elizabeth? Because I don't, I know she's not going to be managing Savage um, after WrestleMania. Uh, does she leave? Is it acknowledged or is it not acknowledged? Because in my mind, everything being genuine, why wouldn't she still be Hulk Hogan's manager if Hulk Hogan's so, you know. <laughs> so, like, I, that's one of my big questions is what happens to Elizabeth after WrestleMania 5? Yeah. 
I uh, I don't remember exactly. I won't try to answer because you don't want to know anyway. But if she does leave and she's not still with Hogan, I think we know the answer why she's not. It's because Hogan was never really interested in yeah. Miss Oliva's, uh, except for maybe that 3%. Um, <laughs> this is a tactic. To, it's uh, On some level, it's a tactic, you know, to get in to be near the world champion sale and to kind of keep control of the situation. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's got his Hulkamaniacs. He doesn't need Liz. He doesn't need anybody. You know, he's got this amorphous uh, blob of fans that he can just assign everything to, and that'll be that. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. And this is the last thing I'll say because we got we got to move through the show. But I am fully convinced now that Hogan pitched a threesome at SummerSlam and he was genuinely shocked that Savage was offended by it. And then he was like, we're not going to be all, we're not all in this together. I'm not wearing the trunks, brother. And that's why we ended up with Savage in the mega power trunks and Hulk Hogan not. Oh, man. You know, the weirdest thing about it is that I can picture actually any of the three of them pitching it for totally different reasons. Um, yes. I'm not going to I'm not going to go down that road. So. <laughs> Lord have mercy. This oh, is. Man. The fact that we're having this experience though with a, with a story that we are as aware, not only are we so aware with this, we know it's supposed to be like one of the best stories. Like all that points to it letting us down, mm. and it's not doing that. Mm. Oh man! Somehow we transitioned to generic with the honky tonk man. <laughs> From the most nuanced to the least nuanced, uh, we couldn't have swung farther. I like, um, I don't really like, but I like that Honky Talk Man is actually extremely honest in his promo. He, he basically says his strategy never changes, and uh, it's true. Actually, nothing about him ever changes. <laughs> He's in one note as they come, um, although somehow less annoying a little bit than some other one-note characters, so take that for what you will. Yeah, I also noted that his strategy never changes. Very true. Uh Generically with the warrior, he's like, his body and his face is starting to look, look like the warrior he'll become. His hair may, might be a little different. Hollering, uh, he will not deny defeat to the Honky Tonk Man. Again, saying nothing of value, and now we're into the ring. Good for Honky Tonk Man, the, who got ran over for the IC title, to get this match where he actually has a legitimate match with the warrior and doesn't fall so easily. I, I think um, he might have been better off not having this match. I think we all might have been better off, but yeah. Yeah. With Ultimate Warriors promo, I literally just copy and pasted my note from his other promo, and I didn't have to add a thing. Um, so yeah, that's fair. His, also, his strategy never changes. So we have two guys who are very proud of never changing, never evolving, never um, you know becoming better in any way. So uh, this is cruel to put this match on the card and have that Ron Bass and Brutus Beefcake match also on the card. Like that's a very cruel thing to book. I don't know what they had. They had to punish us for enjoying that last segment so much, I guess. Yeah. It's a hard, like, it's even more jarring in this conversation than it was in watching it. And I can't <laughs> it find is, anything yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, a battle between the lazy and the incompetent, in my yeah. opinion. Um, I like uh, Warrior picks him up halfway down the ramp and, and this military presses him and walks him back. I thought that was kind of impressive. I guess. Yeah, that was one of the few things Warrior... Like his well, one bit of shtick that wasn't that bad. I'm a sucker for military presses, so yes, at least he's got I that going for him. <laughs> I really wish this was another 10 second match, though. It would have been much better if it was. Yeah, Warrior's gonna hit the shoulder block. He's gonna go over. Honky Tonk Man is on his way down. Uh, uh, Ultimate Warrior is on his way up. He is still ascending uh, into 1990. So I always find it. Here's a reason we talked a lot during Honky Tonk. 
man's reign about like some weird backstage power he wielded. So what the, what happened to that power after he lost the title? Was it totally dependent on mm. him having the title? Because like he'll have he'll never have another day of good booking again. Um, so I don't know. It's like it just it's such a weird story, a weird character. I don't know what to make of it. It's a great question because it doesn't really make sense either way because yeah. it seems like he doesn't really have the power if he can lose it, but also he did do some things that seems like like he made things be different than they were going to be. So sure, yeah, I mean the stories are out there. He's got such a long title reign, and I'm glad we at least got some justification for that. I, I can buy that people bought tickets to see him lose because um, that you know I would like to see him lose. I would rather not see him at all, but like in the context of the era, I get it. But still, yeah. it's just very strange. I can see that. And yeah. so, this is the best day for Honky Tonk Man. I have nothing but good things to say about him, which is a statement of God the Ultimate Warrior at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Gene Erkelin is with a laughing, happy, slick, and company. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of laughing uh, heels at this time. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Slick is celebrating the brutal beatings uh, that they have given to Hulk Hogan. So, he's looking on the upside. Uh, and he, he is the first to really call out. He wonders how close the Mega Powers really are. And uh, he also wonders how many beatings Hogan can keep surviving. So this is interesting. One of the most interesting things to me about all this is the way they reacted on commentary and how Gene Erkelin reacted. And we're going to talk about that more. But basically trying hard to like downplay a possible problem with the mega powers. Whereas you have guys like Ventura and slick saying, no, they really do have problems and look, who's going to be right. Absolutely. You got some BS journalist, uh, Vince McMahon stuff that at the end of the show, which I will mention is amazing how you can cover something if you want to cover it. And boy, that he patches over that thing real quick. <laughs> Absolutely. I love Slick saying, how close are the Mega Powers? I wonder. He just kind of leaves it hanging. Um, and then he says that Boss Man and Akeem are not like that. What Big Boss Man starts, Akeem finishes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't see them uh, fighting over a woman or anything like that. No. Nah. They come out to help each other. So who's really the good guy in this scenario? Good questions. Another interesting promo is coming up with Jesse Ventura, Bobby Heenan, and the Red Rooster. <laughs> I love the dynamic and the way they play this. I really enjoy this whole segment that's coming up. This whole storyline is actually, uh, well, there are some very good things about it. I'll just say it that way. So we go back with Ventura. He's with uh, Bobby Heenan and Terry Taylor, a.k.a. the Red Rooster, who is part of the Heenan family. And the best part of this feud is it's all about everybody shitting on Terry Taylor as a guy who basically totally sucks. And I don't like Terry Taylor. I think he's very boring. I don't think he's interesting at all. And uh, by all accounts, he's one of the biggest racists who was ever in wrestling as well. So fuck him. And it's all about how much he sucks. So, yeah, it's great. I enjoy that very much. Yes. So Bobby Heenan says, Red Rooster has limited speed. And uh, Jesse says, he is pretty slow. And he says, he has limited strength. He says, he is kind of puny. He has limited skills. Uh, he's pretty clumsy. And, and Rooster's like, ah, in the background. But they just keep going. So. <laughs> I love it. Red Rooster sucks. I don't know. Oh, we, we talked about this when the York Foundation and Michael Wall Street, I was like, this thing could go to the moon. And then Michael Wall Street left and Terry Taylor starts and then it won't really get to the TV title. So, yep, yep, absolutely. 
Um, so yeah, Heenan takes on a guy who everyone agrees sucks, and it's just to prove that Heenan can manage anybody, I guess. Uh, and now we're having a special match where Heenan is actually going to be mic'd up, and we're going to get to hear him uh, through the whole match, which I love. I think that's actually a great gimmick, and uh, they play it off very well here as Terry Taylor fights Tito Santana. Yeah, I will just say really quick. I forgot. This is absolutely. I believe this is 100% a, a rib and a spoof on Ric Flair. We got the the knee drop. You got the tights with the letters on it. You got him strutting and being, you know, making sounds. And it's a year after Randy Ric Flair didn't come to the WWF. And you got a King the African Dream who's also not a, a spoof or a rib on Dusty Rhodes at this time. Uh, Man, so huh. I never thought I would, about that, but yeah, no, I think uh, you're really onto something. Like you, you said. Thankfully, the Brain Busters weren't punished for Flair not coming in. Someone else was punished instead, and I'm glad it was someone who deserved it yes. for being terrible. So <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the, that's the thing that makes this so good. You could not – if Terry Taylor did not suck, this segment would. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, yeah, if they had taken someone who was actually good and made it out that they sucked, then that, that wouldn't have worked. So, weirdly, they found the, the perfect thing for him to do. Um it's a terrible gimmick, Terry Taylor. We don't like him either. But uh, this match, it, it's fun because a, you got Tio Santana, who is always great, and then you got Bobby Heenan, who is great even when he doesn't have like a mic attached to him at all times, and you get to hear everything he says in this match, and he is just so funny, so good. I love. <laughs> There's some great lines because he's like Terry Taylor. You know, he's like unsure of himself. He's looking over at Heenan, and he is like. Don't look at me. I'm not going to help you from over here. (laughs) And just like all this stuff, yelling at Terry Taylor. And it's all very justified in my mind. So um, that is my take on this scenario. He also says you're cooking rooster. (laughs) 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 That's good. That's the kind of commentary Terry Taylor needs. Uh, You're cooking rooster. And then nobody dials up drama like Bobby Heenan. When they're on the floor and they start shoving each other. Oh God! It just I'm, I'm I'm uncomfortable while it's happening, which is how I should feel. And then Bobby Heenan does his classic, highly sensitive, bumps into the post and jumps because he's so wound up moment. I'm like, yes, Bobby Heenan, you are the best still. Yeah, we talked about Brother Love's utter lack of nuance in a similar yes. role, and then you just look at Heenan and in the the depth of everything he does, because it's never just one thing with Heenan. Like, sometimes he has these very big reactions, sometimes they're very small, sometimes they're very layered. And I love this here, because, yeah, when when Rooster is pushing at Bobby Heenan, it's not like he's just, like, flailing around and having these big reactions. Like, he doesn't react that much, but he instantly gets, like, so defensive and so jumpy, and his whole body language changes so much and I don't know, it just says, it says like a million words without saying any words at all. It's great. It does, because Bobby Heenan knows, Bobby Heenan overreacts, and Bobby Heenan oversteps his bounds, and sometimes it pays off, and sometimes it doesn't, but yeah, I think he starts to realize where this is going, and maybe he doesn't know how it's going to turn out, but he kind of knows we're over the line now, and so like, there's something within him that is one thing, and then there's the body that is like, you know, sending out alarms. <laughs> absolutely so and uh, that will only increase as the match uh, continues and after the match um we go to the finish which is uh, rooster gets dumped out to the floor he yells at him kind of pushes him back in rooster instead of continuing to wrestle like just turns around and is like yelling at heenan 
And so he gets rolled up and he loses. And uh, it's really all Rooster's fault, in my opinion. But uh, that's maybe just me projecting my feelings. Yeah, my only critique is I think it's the wrong opponent because it puts Jesse Ventura into kind of and Bobby Heenan and the storyline into if Terry Taylor had even a bit of ability and listened to Bobby Heenan, he could beat this opponent, which should not be a Tito Santana role. Yeah, very true. Very true. But uh, at least we get Tito uh, doing something. And I love Tito. He does very well here. So after the match is intense, too, because Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan's going to slap this man. Like, he just knows it's going to happen. And you know what's going to happen after that. But, yeah, you got to watch it all play out, and it's still entertaining as it does. So good. Before that, he is yelling at Rooster, and we hear him say, nobody makes a fool out of me, mm. which is, like, the crux of Heenan's character. I think everything he does is to avoid looking foolish. And, of course, by his efforts, he always does look foolish, which is part of the brilliance of this character. Um, Nahina does absolutely slap Rooster, and I love his reaction. Not Rooster's, but Heenan's own reaction after he slaps him, because he immediately, like, draws back in himself a little bit, and he tenses up so much, and he knows he made a mistake. He, like, goes to the corner to collect himself, and he turns around, and he's gonna try to, like, bluff it out, bluster it out, but it's too late because Rooster snaps. He punches Heenan, he throws him around. Heenan does some gorgeous bumps. Yes. To get this over, and it's just so good. It's it's probably the best thing Terry Taylor was ever involved in. It has nothing to do with Terry Taylor at all, but he's along for the ride for this great, great Heenan angle. I agree 100%. And Bobby Heenan, this is, again, the great storytelling, because nobody ever makes a fool out of Bobby Heenan, except Bobby Heenan, who constantly makes a fool out of Bobby Heenan, in order to make sure nobody makes a fool out of Bobby Heenan. <laughs> it's perfect. I love it. I absolutely it love it. It is. God, it is. And then we transition to Mr. Perfect, who is still wearing trunks and who is it's so weird to watch people because he doesn't yet have like the company and the gimmick as far as like he doesn't have the power behind it. But he's the same Kurt Henning, who is like very forceful about how perfect he is and all this stuff. So uh, unlike Terry Taylor, it blows my mind that we have two up, up and coming stars here, the Red Rooster and Mr. Perfect. And. Yeah, as clear as day was going to be what uh, when this plays out. Yeah, absolutely so. Uh, Mr. Perfect explains to Gene Okerlund that his perfect plex works perfectly. So, good, great. That's what you would expect. Um, it's funny because they actually put the most exciting match on paper in the actual main event slot for once. Um, and, of course, it's still a very short match. But on paper, I was very excited to see this. And uh, even though it is short, I thought it was very good. Yeah, this is a good matchup. Definitely on paper, it looks like it has all the potential in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it causes Vincent Man to tell Jesse and Cherry, your grammar is something less than perfect, so it loses points there. <laughs> I thought of you. Well, it gains it gains points for me because uh, it is proof to your point that Ventura or that Vince uh, will be become the grammar police when he is uh, flustered. So yeah, a great call on your part. You win nothing from that. Like if, if that's not a tell. Uh, Jesse and Terry, you can like him or not like him, but he's gonna bring he's gonna bring some kind of logic, and you're gonna bring like your grammar. Look at your grammar. <laughs> Imagine um, looking at Jesse Ventura and trying to uh, criticize his communication style as if he wasn't one of the greatest communicators uh, yes. of all time. So my God, <sighs> I'm the originator of the Hill commentator. I am a Hollywood star and I'm a governor. But please tell me more about my grammar. <laughs> 
uh, it's a very pathetic uh, critique. So um, it's a short, good match, and like you said, Perfect is not wearing his right gear. He doesn't even have a manager yet. So um, I think they still don't know exactly what they're going to do with him. But uh, he'll he'll be with somebody soon. He'll be wearing his right thing, and we'll we'll have a lot of good Mr. Perfect stuff. Yeah, and another like telltale sign where the 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 error kind of tells on itself. After the match, uh, Perfect wins with the Perfect Plex. And after the match, he says to the camera, Mr. Perfect is where it's at. And Vince says, I don't know about that. And then Hulk rules appears on the screen. <laughs> oh, that's perfect, so to speak. There you go. Oh, man. So then we go back to the uh, final segment of the night. Gene Erkelin is with Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and Miss Elizabeth. All right, and here's where I'm going to give my second piece of praise to Hulk Hogan, and I'll preface it again by saying perhaps it's a manipulation, perhaps it's a strategy, a tactic on Hogan's part, but one way or the other, if you look at his actual words, he completely gives Savage the benefit of the doubt here, and he praises him for showing up. He says, just in time. He says he pretty much um, okays everything that Randy Savage does, and he may take that back later and be revealed as a hypocrite, but in the moment, you know... This is a case where Hogan could have become very self-righteous and could have made himself out to be the victim, which we'd have accused him of many times. He doesn't take that road, not yet anyway. Yeah, he says the only thing you should speculate on is when you mess with the thunder, you mess with the lightning. Um, it's so I'm so glad you made that point because like, if we're not going to give him the benefit of the doubt, we don't need to give anybody else the benefit of the doubt. And that the, according to his words and according to like they, they chum it up and they both are like, yeah, you know, when I feel something, you feel something and <laughs> all of that. But I also just to acknowledge everything that goes on. I also want to say, uh, number one, that's where I translated that potentially he's saying uh, what you need to speculate on is it's not close enough to WrestleMania for this to blow up. Let's get it back in gear, brother. I'm not trying to win the bell at the Royal Rumble. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, That's just one thought. But also the thing where I can say. There's at least potential that he might not be sincere. Is this is there's this whole beautiful thing where it looks like Savage is itching to talk again and again, and Hogan keeps on talking, and three times he's like, the lovely Elizabeth, the lovely Elizabeth, the lovely Elizabeth, and Savage is kind of just looking around at everybody while it's happening. So Hogan both it seems like patches it up and then pokes a few more times. <laughs> But uh, in all fairness, again, I feel like Randy Savage is getting his own pokes in because when he does get to speak, it's exclusively, exclusively about how much Hulk Hogan got beaten up in the <laughs> ring. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I was watching and you got splashed so many times and that hurt me. And then you got hit with the nightstick and they beat you up and that hurt me, too. And it's like all about the bad things that happened to Hogan. So there's definitely, uh, you can see some passive aggressiveness on both sides here. And they yes. play it beautifully. It's exactly what is needed at this part of the feud. It is exactly what is needed, but it's also so smart to know to, to do it again. Mm. And so it shows something that Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage are playing games. Because I think but neither of them probably wants to just explode the thing and have to deal with the other one. I don't think either of them want that, but they both are pissed off in their own way. And like you said, as a passive aggressive. So all of their behavior is justified. The two shields that come out of this, the two people who cannot be justified are Gene Erkeland and uh, Vince McMahon. Gene Erkeland is like, well, we've cleared this one up at the end of the segment, which is like the worst take in the world. And then 
Jesse Ventura says, what a cover-up. Can you believe that? Mr. Man says, indeed I can. Sounds like the mega powers are okay, are A-OK, and that's how we end the show. Oh, man, yeah, it's ridiculous. They have this uh, interview that, to me, yeah, is clearly filled with, like, an undercurrent of tension. And then, yes, just so breezily, so easily, <laughs> Oakland and Vince are like, yep, everything's fine. Everything face value. Let's not uh, think about it anymore. So, oh, my God. These people, they want to say they're journalists and they want to, like, look down on Bobby Heenan and uh, Jesse Ventura. And yet stuff stares them in the face and they just pretend it's not there. It's fascinating because who has the most to lose here? You know, is it Hulk Hogan? Is it Randy Savage? No, it's Vince McMahon and Gene Erkelin who need their baby faces. Yeah, come on. Stop it. <laughs> well, you saw Hart Oakland will take it when uh, Hogan turns heel in many years. So Yeah. Yeah, no, they rely on these people, for sure. It's something about the narrative, too. Like, right now, they are both under the grace. Like, Randy Savage benefits from Hulk Hogan as much as, like, we've talked about how he hurts from Hulk Hogan. But right now, like, all the good forces of that side of the line want to give them the benefit of the doubt ten times over. Because they know the minute that it goes wrong. Like, it, it, why Why should it? Like, Randy Savage is good. Hulk Hogan is good. Miss Elizabeth is good. It's like like the Genesis story, like the hardest thing to understand if you want a literal interpretation of any kind of story. Like uh, the Genesis story is like, why have a tree? Why have a snake? Why have temptation when you have perfection? And the Gene Okerlund, Vince McMahon idea is if you have three people who are nothing but good, no evil here, all good. Like, where does evil come from? Where does disruption come from? Where does paranoia come from? Where does the mega powers exploding come from? Great points there. Oh, God, wow. This, what a story. This is one of the great, great stories. Like, I legit looked at that card and I thought, I don't even want to sit through this. <laughs> and we ended up with one of the great stories in the history of wrestling to um, unfold here. That's the great thing about this era. And it's a great thing, to be honest, about not relying only on the wrestling itself to, uh, to put your card over. Because when you have these great stories... Um, the wrestling, you know, it's not always the most important thing. Like you said, I love yeah. great wrestling. I'll always gravitate towards it. But great wrestling is not only what happens between the ropes. You know, if it was, then Ring of Honor would have taken over the world in, like, the 2000s or, whatever. you know, whatever your preferred wrestling style is. You've seen it somewhere. And at the end of the day, it's the big story stuff that really is the best, that really puts wrestling over the top and sets it apart. Yeah. And two people ever were wrestling all night. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage wrestled about four matches during that show. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, man. So I, I don't know. I didn't realize there would be this many stops before they exploded. I'm glad there is. I don't really know what's next. We've got a boss man, uh, cage match somewhere. we got a tag match somewhere. So I'm super excited uh, about uh, letting this play out. I think we have the Rumble. We have the main event. And another Saturday night's main event, all before WrestleMania still, so wow. we got a lot to do. I will say the power of the January Saturday night's main event is that when we were in 88 and I saw that there were four shows before WrestleMania, I kind of thought, oh my God, can we just get on with it? I know what's going to happen. And after one episode of this, I'm like, I'm thankful that there's three more before WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, absolutely so. Um, they've really got the, the great story going on. And that's, I think, the difference, because as much as we were looking forward to WrestleMania 4, 
um, the this has the better story, you know, honestly, yeah. this is almost more akin to uh, Hogan and Andre, which is one of the greatest stories that has ever been told. And this so far, this is right up there with that. one. I agree. Yeah, that's a hell of a statement, because I don't I think there's a point in my life where I wouldn't have said either of them was one of the great stories. You know, I, I like them both. Well, they both involve Hogan. So we, we are predisposed against them. But, yeah, uh, I, they're, oh, they're really big, and they're really big. People like them, but the, it blows my mind how much I like Hogan and Andre. And then, like, if you had said anything less than it's right up there with Hogan and Andre, I don't think I could have agreed. It's right up there with Hogan and Andre. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, it's such top-tier great stuff, man. I, I love it. So next is the Royal Rumble? Next is the Royal Rumble, yeah. We've got a lot of big stuff happening there. We also have... I'm excited for this. Harley Race versus King Haku. So, uh, we oh interesting to see how that, yeah, how that comes about. Uh, I think yeah. we have Rock and Robin on it, too. We have the last uh, ever women's title match. Well, last of this era. Won't be back until uh, Alundra Blaze comes along. But, uh, yeah, we got women's match on here. We've got, uh, yeah, we got some good stuff on this card. It should be exciting. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. I have no, I know John Studd wins, but I have no. Nothing else. I don't know what happens. I don't know how the rumble goes. It's, it's a thirty man rumble. I'm not sure if the other one was or not. That was twenty. This is the first yeah. real thirty minute. This is the first uh, actual pay per view Royal Rumble. It's going to start really coming into uh, what it's going to be here. So there's a couple things. If I'm remembering right, I know one thing in particular in this rumble that I'm really excited to see. But uh, there should be a lot of good stuff. Oh, two things. There's a, there's a lot of good stuff in this rumble. Nice. This is actually a really good, good rumble if you put aside. The winner, especially, which admittedly, you know, is a little disappointing. But put that to one side. This is going to be a great rumble. I'm excited for it. Absolutely. I'm ignoring the fact that I think there's a pose down somewhere on it. But Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Rick Rude and Ultimate Warrior are going to have a pose down. And that, well, Bobby Eaton will be there. So hopefully he can nice. uh, save it for us. That's about where Ultimate Warrior needs to be at this point. <laughs> I'm sure the match will be as good as any other match he's had. Uh, well, well, Warrior and Rude uh, famously have actually gotten some praise for their matches, and I won't say if it's deserved or not, but we'll have to decide between ourselves if it is. Yeah. So I will, I will look at it as it comes, and I will, you know, give my opinion. And I, you know, I remember the promo before as a child, and I hated it. Ultimate Warrior makes a joke about what is. What a Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan have in common with the Liberty Bell. One is cracked and the other is a ding dong, and then he snorts. Like, I remember that from like <laughs> oh, 20, he 30. He snorts, I bet. I'm sure he does. You know, like, Ultimate Warrior should not be making jokes. I don't know what he should be doing, but I can name a lot of things he shouldn't be doing. Snorting cocaine is what he is doing, <laughs> <Yes>. so. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Ultimate Warrior's coming, but we will we will hold off that world title reign as long as we can. Absolutely. Another good reason. There are a lot of cards between here and there. So. I hate the way he throws punches, too. Like, way off to the side, finally get to the head from way over in another world. Like, there's no reason to throw a punch like that. There's nothing that can benefit. If you put your arm up, you could block. You could wait 10 seconds and still block it. I don't think 99 times out of 100, I don't think anything Warrior does looks good. He's got a good military press, but still not even close to as good as like Lex Luger or somebody else. So, you know, Preach. yeah. <laughs> he also hurts a lot of people. We, you know, I'm not oh, going to yeah. sit here and act like, you know, oh, well, people don't like him because of X, Y, and Z, but he's really better than you thought. Not only is he not better than I thought, 
he also hurts a lot of people. So it doesn't look good. It doesn't land good. People in the business complain about it. So no, until he does something that he deserves praise, he's not going to get it. And it's not going to be a sleight of hand that I'm looking at it wrong. It's going to be the fact that it looks bad and he wrestles poorly and he hurts people. Yeah, he's um, about to hurt Bobby Heenan very badly, actually, yeah. at WrestleMania, um, which is, makes it even more terrible that later he'll make fun of him for getting cancer, which is about the most unforgivable thing that I can think of. So, yeah. Some people are going to get the credit. Ring, fuck this guy on every level. I hate yeah. Warrior. That's what, like, I'm going to still sit here and give praise where it's due, but man, yeah. whether you're a Dynamite Kid or Ultimate Warrior or someone else, like, you better fucking earn it if you're going to get it <laughs> because you got about 10 strikes against you coming off the bat every time I see you. Absolutely. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, but still, I mean, we're going to have the savage match. We could have maybe, well, maybe just a savage match, but uh, at some point, you know, we'll, we'll have to give him some credit, but man, yeah, he's got a lot of stuff, which he deserves nothing for. And that's what we're going to give him. So yeah. And I'm, I'm reopened every time. Like I'm shocked. That he's been around as long as he has, and he hasn't done anything. Like right now, he's done little to impress me. Not only as a wrestler, but even like the gimmick. Right. Like it's not popping at the level that I thought it would be popping right now. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it's over, but it's not like so much over the other baby faces that I'm thinking this guy has to fight Hogan. So I don't know. Yeah. And that's by that might be partly why it doesn't work out because how many people get a baby face? victory over Hulk Hogan at the height of his career at WrestleMania and they pull a nice like six months or nine months out of it or whatever, 12, 10 months or whatever they, you know, there's never been a bigger launching pad than that and we'll see what he does with it when we get to it, but mm. I'm guessing someone out there could have done more with, with, with that opportunity. Sure feels like it, but yeah, we'll see when we get there. Yeah, so 1989 is, is upon us. I was dreading it. I'm always scared when the calendar changes as if the magic's going to go away with it, but so far it has not happened. I mean, it's got to go eventually. We know some years are not as good as others, but, yeah, we're on a very good track right now. So, okay, all right, I think that is everything. So thank you very much for listening to the show. If you want to shout us out, I'm on Twitter. I'm at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Also, as my uh, learning colleague said, www.lopforums.com. For a lot of great conversation, be sure to type that whole URL, or you can navigate there through WrestlingHeadlines.com, our main page site. Um, and uh, last, definitely not least, do check out all the other great programs on LOP Radio. A lot of great ones on there. Hey, speaking of our main page, you see uh, Hustle came back to the site? Absolutely. Yeah, that was so the first cool. time I've been excited in a long time or something like that. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, we love Hustle. Uh, one of the absolute all-time greats. Um, back on uh, WrestlingHeadlines.com, formerly uh, LordsOfPain.net. So do check that out. Check out the hype. He is great. We love to have him around. He's also someone who, like, when I was in the forums and when I was on LOP Radio, like, he is a good human being behind the scenes, and he will do for you if he thinks that, you, that you're offering something. He's not one to kind of just... I think just pick size based on this or that. If you deliver, he's decent to you, and I respect the guy a lot. Legitimately great guy in all my interactions with him as well. Reminds me of Steve a little bit, who I miss yeah. dearly. Yeah. We need we need somebody that has a genuine connection to the space. Uh, yeah. I love people like that. So good. 
Okay, that is all we've got. So we will be back with the first uh, pay-per-view edition of the Royal Rumble. It's going to be very exciting. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Yeah.